Hashem, Hashem, Nasev, 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 Moadim, Gesimcha. We are in Chol HaMoed, Sukkot. It's had a uh, wonderful Sukkot, a couple of days break with the family, Baruch Hashem. Uh, this is what Judaism is all about. You know, you're supposed to enjoy the holidays just like it, it would be Gan Eden. Unfortunately, sometimes we get so busy preparing for the holidays and doing all different types of things for the holidays that uh, we forget to enjoy the holidays. So Hashem uh, forces us to take extended breaks at times that even if you are uh, spending the first couple of days trying to... Uh, make sure that everything is in order, you still have enough days to catch up and uh, with other Hashem, try to uh, enjoy the rest of it. Uh, Shio will also go to Refuash Lemat Levana Batsara, David Ben Esriya, Doris Vajora, also for Atfacharaba, for a big project for Mishpachat Ruven right now, is trying to do with other Hashem. Uh, also, Refuash uh, Lemat to Rav Ephraim. Ben Shulamit, Sarah Batanat, and Elisheva Chaya Batzara, and all of Am Yisrael as the Shem will have refuah shlema, refuah tenefesh, refuah taguf. Anyone have any particular questions? We have the Musar Pikei Avot that we still didn't finish. The second half of it, but if you guys have any specific questions regarding uh, the Chag or uh, Parasha or anything like that, we could start with that also. Anybody have anything in particular? The Gemara in Masechet Abodah Zara, page uh, 3b in the beginning of uh, 4a, talks about the end of times and connects it to Sukkot, household. says that uh, before Mashiach comes, there's going to be a lot of converts. There's going to be a lot of people that want to convert to Judaism. But Ma says, why are there going to be a lot of people? Because before Hashem closes the store, He has to make sure that all of the outstanding bills get paid. You know, when I was a kid, there used to be a... Uh, the Baalabite of the local deli. In those days, it was a supermarket, but it was no bigger than a local deli today the tradition was that you would uh, everybody would have a bill everybody would have a tab with him no one ever had money so you'd carry a tab with him listen Rafi put 50 shekels on my tab and you take 50 shekels more 100 shekels more 200 shekels more and eventually when you got paid you paid back sometimes the tab grew really big 
But eventually you had to you had to pay it. And Afi was a very big-hearted Jew that uh, Baruch Hashem helped my family a lot. And Baruch Hashem, even though we struggled a lot in those days, eventually we paid the full tab. Now, Rafi had the store for many, many years. And there are many other Rafis all over the country, even to this day. But any time that you see them saying to people, listen, it's time to pay the bill, it's not just because they're trying to pick on you, because sometimes they just want to sell the store. Sometimes they want to close the store. So it's time to pay the bill because you can't, officially close the store if you still have outstanding money. You figure maybe all these outstanding bills, if everybody keeps, you know, pays you back, that could be uh, your retirement money. That could be uh, something for something else. Arabi again, Allah Shalom, used to say that before Hashem closes the store, before Hashem ends this world and brings Mashiach, He has to collect all the bills. Meaning, that he's going to give everyone a chance to do tshuva. He's going to give everyone a chance, I mean, he's going to give everyone a chance to convert. Everyone that's looking for the truth will find it. I see it myself every day, probably more than more pe- most people, because a lot of those people reach out to me either because they've done tshuva or because they converted or they want to convert or they want to do tshuva. And you literally see miraculous stories on a day-to-day basis of how people have changed their life. One of my students in Georgia took one of the ideas that I mentioned to you guys in passing in one of the, in one of the shiurim. And I told you, if you want to get people to do tshuva and you're really close to those people, don't do it yourself. And the reason why is because most people that are close to you don't want to listen to you. Admit, most people that are close to you, they don't want to listen to you. Just like most people are close to me, they don't want to listen to me. Just like if you remember, when you first started coming, you listen to everything I say. Now you're here for two years, you don't listen to half the stuff I say. I'm kidding, but Bimit, it's a, people get comfortable with you, they don't want to listen. So imagine if they're comfortable with you for, for, for 20 years, 30 years, they don't want to listen to you. But you want to help them. So how are you going to help them? You have to make sure that you do something to bring the truth to them, but also at the same time, be clever enough to make them think it's their idea. How so? I suggested to you to arrange a shiur. Now, if you're local, then you could just uh, invite me, and I'll come, and we'll give a shiur to 30, 40, 50, 100 people, however many we get. We do a shiur, but most people that watch me, Baruch Hashem, are all over the world. You have from uh, Australia to Costa Rica, the United States, obviously, Israel, many different places around the world people watch shiurim. And not everybody can arrange a large group enough to, to bring us. There's even a whole keila in India that watches a shiurim. Baruch Hashem, the whole keila is starting to do tshuva. Almost 3,500 people in the community and almost 700 of them showed up for the Chagim, for the Chagim this year. They sent me videos of the Chagim, how they had so many people. People were in the streets 
There wasn't room in the, in, the, in the Knesset. Oh, Hashem. So, the idea was that, how do you get them to listen? If you send somebody a long shiur, it's two hours, three hours, and they're not really sure if they're interested or not interested, the time is going to scare them. They're going to see two hours, and guy, ah, I don't really have two hours now. It's too much. They're just never going to press play. If you send them a three-hour movie about some boat that sank, they press play. But if it's some guy telling them about the purpose of life, they're not going to press play. <coughs> now, on the other hand, you send them a clip, five minutes, ten minutes, more likely they're going to press play. But the clip is just the appetizer. It's not going to get anybody to do chuba. A clip is an appetizer that's going to hopefully convince them to watch the three-hour you get one clip, two clips, three clips. Eventually, it's enough clips. You say, you know what? Let me watch the real thing. And it works. A lot of people, Baruch Hashem, that know me, it's not because they watch the shiurim. They watch the clips. They love the clips. And for most people today, because they're fighting with the Yetzirah 24 hours a day, and they are convinced they don't have time to sit down two hours and watch a shiur. They have three hours to watch a movie, a football game, a baseball game have dinner with strangers, all that stuff, they have time, but Shul Torah, we don't have time. Yet Sarah convinces them. Miskinim, I know I was the same thing. I don't fault them, I don't judge them. It's Bemet. They really believe they don't have any time. So you tell the guy, listen, watch a three-hour Shul, ah, it's, it's too much, it's too difficult, it's too this, it's too that. So, give me one of those British Shalom's, please. Not your copy, just 500 copies in front of them. Yeah. Fine. Um, so they're all convinced they don't have time. If you send them a few clips, things that are interesting, and maybe eventually they're going to start watching Long Shiu. But maybe not. So someone that really, really, Chafetz Chaim, someone that really wants life, not only for themselves, but for the people they love, what are they going to do? They're going to arrange a shiur. How? They're going to do what my student in <coughs> Georgia did. And he took the idea and he said, I'm going to make a shiur night. Every Tuesday night, I'm going to invite all the people I like, all the people I don't like, all the people that I care about, all the people I don't care about. As long as they're Jewish, they're coming. Invite everybody. Invite 50 people, probably 20 people are going to show up anyway. And out of the 20, 15 are late. So you tell them it's 8, and really it starts at 9. And at 9 o'clock, he has the popcorn and the pizza and whatever food and everything. It's like a party. Okay, 9 o'clock, shoo. What shoo? Press play, Facebook Live, Rabbi Yaron Uven. And this is what he did. And he had a shoo night at his house every Tuesday night. This shoo right now, it's one of the shiurim also, but he would do it Tuesday night, I believe. I'm not sure if he did Wednesday also. But he told me Tuesday night, he started a few months ago. He invited people. And it was hard to get them. It was hard to get them to come. Every time he would say, I would come, they're not coming. They say, I'm going to come, they're not coming, I'm coming, I'm not coming. Flat tires, wife is yelling, the kids just uh, threw up. All types of tikkunim. Hashem Yidbarach calls the Yetzirah Ra. Why Ra? 
ra is, is evil. It's going to constantly try to get in the way of you doing tshuva. Because as long as you didn't do tshuva, you're still working for him. Thank you. So now, after going through the tikkunim of bringing people to the shul, which I can tell you is no easy thing, I must have built my Florida shul seven times already. You built it, it destroyed. Built it, it built it, no, build it, over and over, over and over. You go from zero to twenty people, back down to zero again. Zero to twenty people, back down to zero again. Every time I go away for a month, you know, either to Israel or to somewhere to do lectures and so on, I come back. No one else, no one knows me anymore. Everybody changes their number. Before, oh, you're going. I can't believe it. How long are you going for? A month? Oh, a month? Oh, okay, we'll miss you. We'll miss you. Okay, come back. Disconnected. What happened? You miss me so much. You changed the phone number. You don't want to come to show anymore. Seven times already I go somewhere else I go to Atlanta Not to Atlanta To California To New York To Israel It's Mamash They fill up the place It's as if I'm like A big uh, giant or something 50, 100, 200 One time 600 people to the shiur When I was in Israel Every shiur No less than 150 people they never know me. They never know anything. Every shiur, no less than 150 people. Guys want to kiss my hand. Oh, kiss my hand. Here, I can barely, locally, can barely get a minyan. Why? The Barbanel says, Hashem, if you notice, there are 55 prophets mentioned in the Tanakh. 48 women, 48 men, 7 women. Not a single one of the prophets that Hashem Barach sent to Am Yisrael had a different job. All of them had the same job. What was the job? Go rebuke the nation. Go tell them, do tshuva. Every single prophet. Didn't matter who it was. Every single prophet had the same job. Prophet, job description, rebuke. What about if I want to do something else? Oh, you have to do something else, a different job. Want to be a prophet? You have to rebuke people. You go tell them, do tshuva. That's the purpose of Amisrael. Do tshuva since the beginning to the end of times. Do tshuva. But he never sent a prophet to his own city. En navi baleiro. Abarbanel says he, Hashem never sent a prophet to the city he grew up in. Why? Because if he sends the prophet to the city he grew up in, to the people he grew up with, they say, hey, little Moshke. Oh, yeah, you want to rebuke us? Ah, no, come on, Moshe. Alas, no, 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 go, go rebuke some other people. We grew up together, we used to play basketball together. Now you're going to say, no, but Moshe Rabbeinu, wow, Moshe Rabbeinu grew up in Egypt, but you rebuke him in Egypt? No, no, it's not true. Why? Moshe grew up in the castle. Am Yisrael was outside the castle. Two different worlds. It's not a different city, it's a different world. He lived in the king's castle. Am Yisrael was the slave. Two different worlds, they didn't grow up together. Every prophet went to a different city. Why? Because if you go to a different city, you're new. You're new, they're going to listen to you. If they know you, they're not going to listen to you. Same thing when we try to help our families. They don't want to listen to us. Why? They grew up with us. 
So we had a clever idea, go send me. How? Invite everybody to your house. Stay. Oh, it's your night. Everybody comes, popcorn, pizza, schmitza, all that stuff, whatever gets them to come. Free food people come. Even if you tell them 10 bucks a head, they still come usually. But less. Better off you pay it and they come. Anyway, they start coming. And a few more come and a few more come and a few more don't, you know, stop coming and a few more come and new ones and everybody starts bringing their friend. But the one thing that he never expected is the one thing I also never even thought was even a possibility. What was it? That not only that his mom is going to come, which is an older woman, an older woman, not only she's going to come, usually older women, they don't want to go out to watch some YouTube video or some Facebook live at 10 o'clock at night. Usually when you get older, that's bedtime. You have other stuff to do. Not only is mommy going to come from Atlanta, not only is she going to come, but she's going to be the first one to do tshuva, real tshuva, before anybody else. You know how hard it is to do tshuva at 70 years old? Let's imagine. You see this sukkah, Baruch Hashem, beautiful sukkah, they build this sukkah. Can you imagine, can you imagine any one of you lifting the sukkah on one finger, the whole sukkah on one finger? To lift the sukkah on one finger is easier than to do tshuva at 70 years old. It's easier. Why? You never tried lifting a sukkah with one finger. You don't know it's too hard. It looks hard. But you're not really sure. Do tshuva at 70 years old, you're already used to your ways. You're already used to your ways. You know it's hard to not to do it. That's why you haven't done it for 70 years. And to still do it, Yishtabach Why is this? Why, why did she have such a merit? And why did her son, the tzaddik, have such a merit to do tshuva at such an age. Why? Because Hashem is closing the store. And before the end of days, the Mashiach, before Mashiach comes, the Zohar Kadosh says, it's going to be 15 days of darkness where all the Reshaim from Am Yisrael, not from the Goyim, all the Reshaim from Am Yisrael are going to die during the 15 days of darkness. Who's going to live then? All the ones that did tshuva already. Who's going to do tshuva? Whoever was looking for the truth before. Why? If he was looking for the truth before, then Sefer Dvarim says, he found it. If he looked for the truth before, he found it. Why? That's the promise that Hashem gave in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. If you look for me, you'll find me. When? At the end of days. If you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. So, every single person that's looking for the truth is finding it. I got a 15, 16 year old kid sent me a text this morning, Baruch Hashem. He's been watching his breath for some time now, Baruch Hashem. And he sends me, uh, you saved my life. How did I save your life? He says, I know what life is now. I enjoyed the holiday. I enjoyed life. I was, why could he stop making a sin that he didn't realize all this time is destroying him? 
People think that I'm exaggerating when I say the things that Chazal says about what wasting seed leads to health problems, financial problems, relationship problems, life problems, every problem. I got one student, Misken, Mamash Misken, almost three years. Almost three years I'm trying to help him stop wasting seed. Almost three years. He's almost a Mikre Avud. He's almost a, almost a lost case. Baruch Hashem, he's still alive. That's why I say he's not a lost case. But almost three years, he cannot, he's so addicted to it, he cannot stop. And I'm seeing him with my own eyes, I am seeing it, how his health is deteriorated from three years ago. Right now, Mamash, he looks like a ghost. He looks like a ghost. And he himself can't see it. He doesn't realize it's connected to the two. It's like, yeah, I don't feel good. Why? What happened? Yeah, my head hurts. Why is your head hurt? You're 18 years old, 19 years old. What, 18 years old? What do you have? You need glasses? No. Why this? Why? Mamash, you see, my head hurts. Okay, next day, my hip hurts. Why your hip hurts? Well, you're 90 years old. My hip hurts. Oh, my foot hurts. My eyes hurt. I can't see. I can't this. Like, oh, Shemachem, his whole body is breaking apart. Just like we send this you. Misken, he cannot connect it to. I keep telling him, you gotta do it. He's addicted. Misken, Mamash Misken. I feel bad for him. Rabotaye Karim, the genom that a person creates for themselves in this world for making big sins is much, much worse than the genom that they're going to see in Shemaim. Much worse. In this world. Why? Because the Chachamim explain that an Isur Karet, Isur Karet, somebody that wastes seed, someone's Mechalel Shabbat, someone that makes one of these, you know, goes with his wife when she's nida. Someone that does one of the big sins, eats chametz Pesach, eats on Yom Kippur, shemeachem, all types of big sins, supposed to get a death penalty. Chachamim say, how is there a death penalty? Is death penalty supposed to be here and there? So how is it? There we already know the fire, the burning, the lava, we know already, but... Most people can't even imagine, uh, you know, getting cancer in this world. You want them to imagine gain home. Well, no one thinks they're going to get cancer. No one thinks that their kid is going to die at two years old on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, like one of the people that I sent a message to. No one thinks that they're going to have, the doctor's going to tell them, listen, yeah, you know that, that growth you have in your arm? Yeah, you have six weeks to live. No one thinks like that. No one thinks things like this. But one thing they can think is the Chachamim explain that one of the punishments of Karet is death penalty. But not physical death. Spiritual death. What spiritual death? Spiritual death, Rabotai Karim, means you are disconnected from the oneg, from the enjoyment of the mitzvot. You have a mitzvah. You have a beautiful sukkah, but you're so, so like consumed with the fact that it's hot, you forget that you're in a sukkah. You forget that you're in a sukkah. You have kiddush, your family, your wife, your husband, your children, the relatives, the in-laws, the outlaws, everyone's there. Everyone likes you. Everyone says, Oh, wow, you have a nice house. You have a this, you have a that. Baruch Hashem, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. The food comes. Instead of enjoying the, the beauty of everything that's happening, you're thinking, yeah, you know, 
too much salt in the food. Ech. I got to tell her something after they leave. I got to tell my wife. She didn't make it good. Instead of enjoying the moment of the mitzvah, you're too busy thinking about salt. You're too busy thinking about the heat. Or better yet, you're too busy thinking about Monday. But it's Friday. You're thinking about Monday. Why? Because Monday I have work. I can't wait to go back to work, he tells you. Why you can't go maybe to go back to work? I like my job. Oh, you like your job? Let me prove you otherwise. If you won the, the mega millions, $500 million, you go back to work on Monday? Absolutely not. Okay, you don't like your job, you're a liar. Why? If you like something, you do it for free. You just say you like your job because you hate your family and your life and you can't wait to leave. So you like that hell more than what you think is hell here. Why? Because you have a su karet. What's a su karet? You forgot. You don't have the feeling of enjoyment from the mitzvot. You have mitzvah in front of you. You can't enjoy it. Can't enjoy it. Sukkot Rabotai Karim is a holiday that if the goyim knew how good it is for them, they would have never destroyed the Bet HaMikdash. Because during Sukkot, you would bring, Am Yisrael would bring korbanot for all of the nations. Seventy nations, they would bring korbanot for them. So now, going back to the original question, the Gemara in Masechad says that before Hashem closes the store, brings Mashiach, no more conversions, no more tshuva, no more nothing. Everything's finished. What you are is what you are. You have a filthy mouth, you'll have a filthy mouth for eternity until Hashem cleans it up with a little bit of hot coal. Called Ratamim. You know what Ratamim is? Ratamim says, the Gemara says it's cold, it never goes out. You like to curse? Don't worry, they'll fix that too. You like to look at things that are not appropriate? They'll fix that too. What your rabbi said? Your rabbi said those things don't exist? Okay, they'll fix that for him also. Some people have questions. So Hashem says, don't worry, I'll send you a private tutor. Don't worry. No, my rabbi said there's no gain. No, it's not just to, it's just to scare you. Okay, we'll send some, we'll take care of that also. We'll send you gain in this world. Anyone that says there's no Gehenom simply hasn't suffered a day in their life yet. It's coming soon, don't worry. I'm not wishing and suffering for anyone, chas v'shalom. It's just that's life. Life is suffering. At some point or another, you will suffer. That's life. What is the Torah for then? The Torah is going to give you mashma'ut to the suffering. It's going to give you significance to the suffering. If you have Torah, you'll see a benefit in the suffering. If you don't have Torah, you'll suffer like a miserable dog like everyone else. Thinking, oh, poor me, poor me, poor, what poor you? Poor everybody, there's 8 billion people in the world, everyone suffers, only poor you. What everyone has to retail just for you, everyone suffers. Everyone, show me one person doesn't suffer. If he has, it's coming soon. That's life, that's been made. Anyone that tells you there's no suffering is, 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 just hasn't had it yet. Anyone that's in the real Kiruv business gets non-stop news of people suffering. 
non-stop divorce, death, sickness, money loss, uh, broken shiduch, uh, shiduch that actually worked but you don't want it to work. Shem Yachem, how many problems Am Yisrael has? So when a person understands that the Torah has suffering in it, but there's a mashmaud, there's a significance to it, you can use it for good. It's like a joker. It's like a joker card. You can win everything because of the suffering, because of the Mesigut Nefesh. That's what this Mishnah Nebot's about. Then you realize Mashiach comes, whatever suffering you had until now, it's going to be, that's going to be your joker card. Why? Because the Mashiach is not your friend. Mashiach is going to be somebody it's not going to joke around it says in the prophet Isaiah I opened this part before it says the Mashiach is going to have a spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of knowledge and fear of Hashem and Mashiach, he will be imbued with the spirit of fear of Hashem, and he will not need to judge by what his eyes see, nor decide by what his ears hear. The Mashiach, when he comes, he's simply going to smell your sins. He's not going to, you don't have to argue, no, 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 but I, I went to the shore every Tuesday. And also sometimes on Wednesday. Yeah, I showed up 45 minutes late, but I still came. Did you do anything that the shield says? No, but I came to the shield. Isn't that good? You're not going to have the ability to have this debate with the Mashiach. <laughs> Why? Simply by you being in his line, in his line of smell, he's going to be able to smell your Yirat Shemaim. Mean, what does it mean, smell your Yirat Shemaim? He's going to know every single sin you've ever made in your entire life. Rav Galinsky, Allah Shalom, at the end of his days in this world, he told a secret he never said before. Many of the Chachamim are gifted certain things. Wachakodesh, different parts of Wachakodesh. We hear wonderful stories about the Chachamim throughout history, but even recent history. But most of them don't talk about it. The stipler Gaon, as soon as you walked into his Bet Midrash, he knew if you were a kofer or not. One time somebody came in to ask for a bracha, as soon as he came into the door, he came into the Bet Midrash, the stipler Gaon, Arav Kanievsky, was on the end of the at end of it. It wasn't like near, he's not near the door. At the end of it, man, nice 15 minute walk. Not, uh, it's not getting to him right away. Immediately he walks into the door, he starts screaming, Rasha, Rasha, Mechalel Shabbat. He starts screaming until they tell the guy to get out. Just walking into the Bet Midrash, he knew the guy is a Mechalel Shabbat. One time some woman came to him, to the Rav, Kani, uh, to Rav Kanievsky, <coughs> the, the father, the stipler Gaon. She wanted to ask for a bracha. For the Rav, I have a shiduch. I'm going to get married, please give me a bracha. He's the best guy in the kolel. A lot of good rabbis say he's good, he's this, he's that. 
we need a bracha. The stapler Gaon says, yeah, but he's not Jewish. He's not there, the guy. He never met him in his life. He's one of the top guys in the yeshiva, in the kolin. One of the top guys. She's asking for bracha, not asking is he a Jew or not Jew. She's asking for bracha, give me a bracha. The stapler says, no, no, he's not Jewish though. What do you mean he's not Jewish? From the Rav, no, I just want bracha. He's the best guy in the, he's the best guy in the yeshiva. And it's then he's the best guy in the yeshiva. But he's not Jewish. They went, they, the woman is miskena, she's sweating, turns white. The mom, her mom turns, everybody turns white. You can see through their skin. What well, are we asked for a blessing? The Gdola Dol says he's not Jewish. They went, they make a couple of phone calls. They found out, yeah, his mom did a reform conversion many years ago. And uh, he's really not Jewish. But he, Behmet, became a Ben Torah. So they come back to the Rav, break the Shiduch. I mean, we, we, we. No, he says, no, I didn't say break the Shiduch. I just said he's not Jewish. So just make sure to convert him. He's the best guy in Yeshiva. He has good midot. He wants to learn. But just make sure he's Jewish first. We don't have a stipler going today. You go inside to a bit Knesset today, you think everybody's Jewish. Even though sometimes some people are not Jewish. He was one of the rabbis for Rav Galinsky. So Rav Galinsky tells these stories about him. But he says a story at the end of his days about himself. Rav Galinsky, Allah Bashalom says the gift that I got <coughs> was at any time I shook somebody's hand I can see all of their sins I shook little four foot something tiny tiny Kodesh Kodesh Masafel Torah walking he did not suffer a day in his life his entire life was suffering to, him, to us it's suffering to him is Abu Hashem but he got a gift what he got a gift if he touched your hand and said, hey, Hazaku Baruch, he saw every sin you ever made in your life. He said, only one time it didn't work. One time it was, you know, at the end of the shiur, everybody shakes your hand, Hazaku Baruch, Hazaku Baruch, Hazaku Baruch. There's a little video online. You can see he's giving a shiur to a couple of, to a bunch of Bnei Torah, young guys. Maybe 150, 200 guys there, and they're all coming up to him. And shaking his hand, you see this little, little Kodesh Kodeshim Sefer Torah, and all the young guys, they're much double the size. And they're shaking his hand, Kodarav, Kodarav, and you're not realize, they're not realizing he knows every one of their sins. He says, One time I shook a hand of somebody, it didn't work. So I, give me your hand again. And shook his hand, didn't work. So I asked him, what, what, what are you, who are you? What do you do? Goes, oh, no, I, I do shurim, try to get people to do tshuva. Goes, oh, oh, okay, not answers. Call him as a kerabim, enched ba'aliado. Anyone does zikwe rabim, anyone does kiruv, no sin comes to his hand. No sin comes to his hand. No one can see your sins. Why should I take care of all that stuff? Why are you involved in kiruv? You brought your family, your friends, your haters, your lovers, your everybody to your house on a Tuesday night. Hopefully they can do tshuva. Ah, you're a kiruv rabbi. Even if you don't speak. Even if you don't speak. 
So, before Hashem closes the store, He's going to give every single person the opportunity to see the truth. Including the goyim. Any one of these goyim tells you, I want to convert, they may be serious. In this generation, they may be serious. Unfortunately, some of them you can't help. Why? Because they can't help themselves. They like the thought of converting, but the actual action is two different things. Well, sometimes they live in a country that's not possible to convert. That's where the first and foremost a person needs to know if they're going to convert, they have to move to a Jewish community. If you cannot move to a Jewish community, you're not going to be able to convert. Not because we don't like you because you don't live in a Jewish community, but simply because you cannot be a new Jew by yourself. You have to be a part of a kilah to learn what a rabbi, to be part of a kilah to learn how to do what to do. They're not going to convert you, and then you're living your whole life a sinner, not even knowing it. Now, the ones that convert before Mashiach comes, or start the whole conversion process before Mashiach comes, and they're genuine, as I've said in previous shurim over the years, they're in good shape if they're genuine. If they're hard mamash, they want to convert, Hashem will let it happen. The ones that are fakers, they're never going to make it. And even if they fool the Bedin and the rabbi that sponsored them, don't worry, Mashiach comes, you'll be the first one he'll kill. <coughs> don't worry, it's coming for you also. One question at a time. First question, 25 minutes already of that. So when you finish the first question, you ask the second question, it's going to be two hours. The whole shoe. So now, what about the ones that don't convert? No problem with them either. There's seven, seven mitzvot b'nei Noach. Seven laws on the Noahide. The Gemara says, if you're righteous Noahide, you have a share of the world to come. The Rambam posek la'alacha, anyone that fulfills the Noahide laws and all of the common sense laws of the Torah, like honoring your parents, even though it's not part of the seven Noahide laws, has a share of the world to come and is considered one of the wise people among the nations. Anyone that fulfills those mitzvot, but just simply because they like them, not because God said so, not only does not get a share of the world to come, but the Rambam calls them the idiot among the nations. Because you're doing all of the mitzvot without getting any reward for it. It's like working for Microsoft as an executive, but you don't collect the paycheck. What's the point? So now, some of the goyim are going to complain when a Mashiach comes. Why? They say, listen, we didn't have the Torah. So, Ma'a says, yes, but you had the Noahide laws, and you didn't even fulfill those. You didn't even fulfill the Noahide laws. So what are you complaining about? Okay, give us something, give us another chance. And Hashem in His mercy is going to give him a chance saying, okay, I'll give you an easy mitzvah. Whether he's going to talk to them directly or not, I don't think it will be directly. I think it will be probably through a prophet of some kind, but we'll see it when we see it. The point being, the Gemara says, this is not an analogy. The Gemara says, this mamash is going to happen. The Goim are going to ask for a second chance. Give me a second chance. They had Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, but you had Bilam. Okay, it was a long time ago. They had a lot of mitzvot. It was scary. Okay, but you had only seven. 
yeah, but we weren't sure, we were sure, they fooled us, they this, all the excuses in the world that people have. So Hashem is going to say, okay, I'm going to give you mitzvah kala. I'm going to give you an easy mitzvah. What an easy mitzvah? Mitzvah tzuka. Easy mitzvah. So now, the Graham says, okay, they all open, they all build a nice little tent, they go to Judaica store, they all get to go to Home Depot, they get some uh, wood together, they put it together, and Hashem sends the test. What's the test? 300 degrees. 300 degree weather. Hot as much genom. So hot, they cannot even breathe in the sukkah. They all leave the sukkah. They can't stand it. And they kick the sukkah on the way out. And decide, you can't join them, fight them. We're going to fight the Mashiach then. They all decide to go fight Mashiach. Sigma asks, wait a minute. Allah is, if a person is not enjoying the sukkah, because it's too hot or it's raining, then the patu, they're absolved from the mitzvah, they don't have to keep the mitzvah. If it's raining, you don't have to stay in the sukkah. In fact, if you stay in the sukkah despite the fact that it's raining, the Torah says you're an idiot. The Torah says you're an idiot. It calls you an idiot for staying in the sukkah when it's raining. It's not a mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah to suffer on sukkah, on sukkot. What's a mitzvah? Vesamachta bechagecha. And you are happy in your holiday. That's the mitzvah. That's the mitzvah of Sukkot. But if you're not happy in the sukkah, it's not a mitzvah. Go in the, go in the house. But that's the mistake we make. We think that the sukkah is just like a nice little tent we can hang out in. We don't realize that sukkah is supposed to be our house. <coughs> Meaning you're supposed to have everything you would have in your house in the sukkah. That's why people that are professional in Israel, the, the Haredim, they put everything in the sukkah, an air conditioner, a fridge, a, uh, everything they put in the sukkah. Unless they live in there. And that's what we have to do. Yeah, but it costs a lot of money, people say. So what do you have money for then? What do you have money for? If you don't have money to build a sukkah, you don't have money to buy tefillin, meudarot. If you don't have money to do mitzvot, what do you think Hashem is giving you money for? To buy a nicer car? People say, yeah, but it's so expensive, the sukkah, it's $2,000, or $2,000, and $2,000, and this, and that, it's so expensive. You have money? Yeah. Okay, so spend the money. If you don't have any money, then you're patul. If you don't have, you have zero in your bank. You have zero in the bank. You can't afford to buy a sukkah. There's no, you're anus. You're anus. You can't do the mitzvah. You don't have any money. Maybe you could borrow the money, go borrow the money. But you can't borrow, and you're not allowed to steal. And you don't have the money, you're patu. Go find somebody that has a sukkah, stay with them. But if you have the money in the bank, but you don't feel like spending it, because it's expensive and it's going to disturb your portfolio, it's going to disturb your retirement plan, because you're saving exactly $47 every paycheck. So when you're 63 and a half years old, you're going to have exactly a certain amount of money so you can retire. Who says you're going to live to 63 and a half is something else though? You never thought about that question though. But anyway, taking a couple of thousand dollars and building a sukkah and putting an air conditioner in it and buying a lulav 
for more than $3 because it's broken, an actual real lulav that costs 100 dollars $200, and buying an etrog that's not a lemon that you saw on the bottom and you just called it an etrog, actually costs money, or you're not going to borrow. A lot of people go to shul, they borrow the lulav. <coughs> Let me borrow your lulav. Let me borrow your etrog so I can do the mitzvah. You're not allowed to borrow it, by the way. Not allowed to borrow it. You're only allowed to use somebody else's lulav if he gives it to you as a gift. So they made a new minag. What's a minag? They give it to you. They gift it to you with condition that you give it back. That you're an Indian giver. Mamash. For the navigation system, we have $3,000 to spend. For the rims, at least $1,500 a rim. For the watch, not a single person is allowed to walk into shul with the watch less than $5,000. But for lulav, for 100 bucks, no one has any money. For sukkah, for $1,000, $2,000, no one has any money. Then people wonder why they have no bracha in their parnasah. Shem says, yeah, I gave you $100,000, you spend it on a bunch of shkiot and zero on mitzvot. You want me to give it to you again? You're lucky I didn't give you cancer instead. So now the goyim are going to have the opportunity, but they're going to throw the opportunity in the face of the Torah. <coughs> Say we don't want this. We're gonna, instead, we're going to fight the Mashiach. Chachamim say, but if it's hot, or it's too cold, or it's raining, or it's this. If you're a Jew, you will, you know, you're not, you don't have to stay in the sukkah. So how come when the goyim, they were too hot, and they left, how come they're getting punished for it? So the Gemara Masechet Abodah Zarah answers it and says, because they kicked the sukkah on the way out. And that symbolized that they were happy to leave the sukkah. They didn't want to be in there in the first place. They just wanted the reward. They didn't want to do the mitzvah. They want the reward for the mitzvah. They didn't want to be a part of the organization. They just want the money, the fame. They want the respect, the honor to say, I work for such and such company. I do such and such. What about the hard work that comes with such and such? No, that's not really for me. You have something else maybe? Everyone wants to be the boss. But no one wants the bills of the boss. No one wants the bills of the boss. So, the ones that do tshuva before Mashiach comes, they're good. But the ones that don't, they're in worse shape than they were before. So now, how does this connect to our Mishnah in Avot? We started the Mishnah in Avod, Ben Bagbag Omer, Afachba veAfachba dekulaba, Ubatecheze vesivu bleva, Umina lo tazua sheen lecha mida tova emena, Ben Hehe Omer lefum tsar agra. Ben Bagbag, which we explain is a Ger Tzedek, that named himself Ben Gior Ben Gioret. Son of Ka-
convert male, son of convert female. That's why he called himself Bagbag. The first letter represents Ben, Ben, and and the Gimel is Gior Gioret. So Ben Bagbag says he has something to say. What does he have to say? He says, delve into the Torah and continue to delve in it. Afochba ve'afochba. Tekulaba. Because everything is in it. Look deeply into it. Grow old and gray over it. Do not steer from it, for you have no better portion than it. And then Ben Heihe, which some people say is the same person. Some say it's a different person. There's also a Ger Tzedek. Called himself Ben Heihe because the He is with the letter that was added to the names of Avraham and Sarai Menu. And Ben Heihe says the reward is in proportion to the exertion. So last week or two weeks ago, whatever we did the last year, we already went through the first part of it where we saw that even the mitzvah of tshuva, the mitzvah of tshuva, most people don't do tshuva because they don't know how to do tshuva. They don't know how to do tshuva. We realize that when Bagbag says, delve into the Torah and delve into the Torah, because everything in it, it wasn't just because he liked the Torah, which of course he loved it. He literally meant every word he says, everything you ever want is in it. And the Gemara says that all seven wisdoms, there are seven wisdoms in the world, seven different types of wisdoms, all seven wisdoms you will find in the Torah. All of them. There's nothing that you will not find in the Torah. To such an extent that one time there was a family that one of the family members had a growth and he had to have a very, very difficult surgery. And they had a complica- complication in the surgery. The surgeon comes out after three, four hours of trying to perform surgery, sweating profusely, almost like I am. And he says to the family, Rabotai, we have a very big problem. The original plan that we had, it's not like today, they have technology, they already know what's going to happen after the surgery from all the technology we have. How the body's going to recover, they have the lasers, they show you how the body is, how it will recover, they cut precision. Back then it was very, very different. Compared to today, it's like a archaic. Today they have such sophisticated technologies that robots themselves actually perform the surgery. All you need is somebody to navigate the the actual robot. As long as he doesn't have the uh, disease that he's shaking, he can perform a surgery. He doesn't have to have the best vision in the world. They have all these goggles and everything. He needs to know what he's doing. Eventually, it's just the robot with no doctor. But even more so, there's an Israeli company that came out with a 3D technology that takes a 3D, I believe it's an MRI or CAT scan of the body, but it shows you a three-dimensional illusion of it. And then you can take, let's say you see the body, but then you decide you want to just see the heart, so you take the heart out. 
And then you take this, is, but it's his heart. It's not like a, a picture of some heart that's like a digital picture. It's his heart. And you spin it and you turn it upside down and you open it. It shows you what's in it. Unbelievable technology. People think they're going to live longer because of technology. Wait till they see it. Technology not going to help them though. It's cool though. It's cool. Makes you think like you're in an uh, action movie. So, this family had a problem. The father of the family had a surgery after three, four hours of performing. Very, very difficult surgery. The surgeon comes out. He says, we have a very, very big problem. We did not expect. We have to cut somewhere else. The problem is if we cut there, in the best case scenario, he's paralyzed for life. But he's alive. In the worst case scenario, we, we kill him on the spot. What do you want us to do? What a choice you're giving him. This one's a dead animal, you want to eat it? This one is not kosher pig, you want to eat it? What are you going to do? Both of them not kosher. The family, Baruch Hashem had Torah and mitzvot in their life as their foundation, they had a rav. When it says you have Torah and mitzvot, that means you also have a rav. You don't have a rav, you don't have Torah and mitzvot. Why? Because there's no way that you're performing Torah and mitzvot the right way without having a rav. A lot of people think that they're performing Torah and mitzvot, they think that tzaddikim, doshim, they want to do things, they want to write things, they want to uh, say things, they want to do a lot of things. You do the basics, get yourself a rav? No, not yet. Oh, okay, forget about all these extracurricular. Get yourself a rav first. Why? Because the Rav is going to be the one that's going to tell you you're wrong. But if your Rav always tells you you're right, he's not your Rav, he's your friend. Go get yourself a Rav. Friend you can get for nothing. Rav, a little more difficult. Problem is sometimes people find the Rav but they don't want it. It's like, no, no, you're supposed to tell me I'm right all the time, like my other Rav. No, you're confusing. I'm the Rav, he's the friend. No, but he has a beard also. So is the goat. He's the Rav also. So anyway, this mishpacha, this family says we have to call our Rav. Who's the Rav? The Chazonish. The Chazonish, they call the Chazonish for the Rav. This is the situation. Chazonish says, give me the doctors. And the Chazonish, he didn't exactly leave the four walls of his house. All he did is learn Torah his entire life. He didn't go into medical school. He didn't go into biology school. He didn't go into university. Shalom. All he did is learn Torah. Same Torah that's available to you. But he says, put the f- doctor on the phone. They put the doctor on the phone. Yes. He says, listen. Go from A to this. B to this. 3 to this. And he gives them the exact steps of where to cut. And where to do this and every single thing. And the doctor is writing every single thing he says. He's amazed at the end. He's like, this is going to work. We never thought about this. We never thought about this. He's so excited, he doesn't even tell the family. He just goes, he does the surgery, like Lamash, like Adam Arishon, Hashem. Opened them up, closed them up, just took Chava out and finished. 
Adam didn't even feel it. Hashem took a rib out of Adam Arishon, he put him to sleep, he cut him up, he took one little rib. The reason why he took the rib and not any other bone is because the rib is the most modest uh, bone. It's always covered. All your other bones are exposed. Your arms, your legs, everything else is exposed, either sometimes or all the time. But the rib, your, your arms are always covering it. No one walks around like this. No one walks around like this. Everybody walks around like this. Why? You're covering the ribs. Hashem says the biggest mitzvah for a woman, Abati Yisrael, is modesty. Even if she's not Jewish, modesty is still the biggest mitzvah. If she's not modest, only Geinom is a one-way stop. There's no other stop. I'm telling you. It's not because I like to talk about Geinom, because no one else does. Everyone needs to know there's Gan Eden, there's Geinom. There's nothing in the middle. There's nothing in the middle. All the other stuff is just a stop in between. It's not in the middle. If you are a woman and you're not modest, you only have one option after this life. It's not Gan Eden. So you can guess what the other one is. Hint, I just said it. Starts with a G. Then an E. Then an H. An I. An O N O M. I'm a Hebrew also. How many more hints? So anyway, Rabotai Karim, Hashem Itbarach already gave us a mitzvah from Shamaim for all of mankind from Adam Arishon. What was it? Modesty. I took the bone from the rib because it's always covered. Just like your wife is supposed to be covered. If your wife is not covered, either tell her to cover herself or find yourself another wife. What do you think I'm joking? Go look at it yourself. It says, what woman can you throw her away without paying her the ketubah? What woman you, you throw her away without paying her the ketubah? Because if you want to divorce your wife, you have to give her the ketubah. You said in the ketubah, I'm going to give you honey, I love you, I'm going to give you 555000 Whether you like her or not, after is irrelevant. You have to give her 555000 Usually you write the ketubah when you like each other. So you write a big number even if you can't afford it. But you still have to pay it. So now, when you want to kick her out, you don't like her anymore, but you still have to pay it. But the Gemara says, but there are certain types of women, certain types of women, you could throw them out, you don't have to pay them ketubah. Why? What, what do they do? If she cooks non-kosher food, she wants to cook you non-kosher food, you can throw her out. Not accidental. On purpose. You say, I want kosher uh, chicken. She cooks you kosher pig. Kosher by the Reform, not by Judaism. Kosher by the Christians. You know, I saw, there's a picture I show you on my phone. Walmart, special for Hanukkah, kosher pig. Kosher bacon. Special for Hanukkah. I'll show you to you. It's on my phone. You know, five years ago, they advertised. We have a special for Hanukkah special... Kosher, I uh, was it bacon or, or some other pig, whatever it is, ham, ham, kosher ham, kosher ham, special for Hanukkah. You should hire a kosher Jew for the kosher department. There's a thought, a hint, free advice. Next advice, I have to charge you. Free advice, Walmart. Ken. It's noisy, the fan. So you want us to suffer even more?
with the fan, we're already suffering. You want to suffer more? Okay, somebody can take the fan and give it to you guys. It's not helping me anyway. No, 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 not you, chas v'shalom. Not you. One of the guys. Not you. No, no, no. Don't worry. Let the guys do it. You, Baruch Hashem, you already done enough. Baruch Hashem, you give us the place to learn. Shrechem v'shechem kechem. Hold on. Let me finish, finish, finish the point. So now, so now, Rabotai, yeah, whatever is the long, the most extended, so you can cover everybody. Cover everybody, not just me. Said, said, cover everybody, so everybody is not. Okay, there you go. Well, you can get a little closer to them, so it actually gets to them. It's not a. Yeah, there you go. It's not a GE engine. I know you're used to working with GE engines. It's not a GE engine for the planes. So anyway, the... Where was I? GE engines took me off. Oh, okay. So, Ketubah. So, yeah. So, the Gmama said Ketubah... Says, what uh, woman can you throw her out without paying a ketubah if she pay, if she makes you non-kosher food on purpose, and it gives other conditions, and then one of the conditions, the last condition, is a woman that violates that Israel, the religion of Israel. So the Gemara, the Chachamim asks, what does it mean a woman that violates the religion of Am Israel? What does it mean? He says, a woman that does not cover her head with a mitpacha. A woman that does not have modesty, you're allowed to kick her out without paying her ketubah. It's not talking about mini skirts. It's just to cover her head. Obviously, it's a kalvachomer if she's walking on mini skirts and a tank top and a tube top and a this top and that top and no clothes. Of course, it's talking about if the woman simply doesn't cover her hair with a mitpachat, you can throw her out without paying her ketubah. So here we see, Rabotai, that modesty is a very, very big deal for Am Yisrael. Modesty is a very, very big deal for the entire world. Modesty is a very big deal in the eyes of Hashem. And the eyes of Hashem are the only eyes that count. So we see here, Ben Bagbag is telling us, delve into it and delve into it. Everything is in it. All the wisdoms are in it. The doctor performs the surgery according to what the Chazonish said. And the guy lives. Not only lives, he's not crippled, he's not nothing. He's perfect, like he comes out brand new. After the surgery is completed, the doctor comes out and he says, Who is this genius? Who is this genius doctor, surgeon, uh, that you gave it to us? We must, we must get his name. We have, to, we, 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 we have to do something, we have to be in touch with him. This is, I'm, we've never heard such wisdom in the family in their humility, says, oh, that's our rabbi. That's our rabbi. He goes, no, no, no. The doctor I talked to on the phone. Who is he? He goes, no, he's not a doctor. He's our rabbi. He goes, which medical school did he go to? He never went to medical school. Which university did he build? He never attended university. How does he know this? The Torah has all seven wisdom. Torah is anything you want. That's why Ben Bagbag says, 
delve into it and delve into it because everything is in it. Look deeply into it. And the problem is today, Rabotai Karim, is that many of us are convinced we did tshuva and we start coasting. We start keeping Shabbat, we start keeping a couple of mitzvot. They used to be hard for us, but now they're easy because we've become accustomed to them. It used to be hard for us to wake up in the morning and go to shul. Now we go, it's easy for us. Used to be hard for us to lay tefillin every day, now it's easy for us. Used to be hard to keep Shabbat, now it's easy, now we like it. Our wife cooks enough for 50 people even though there's only three. We eat for 50 people though, we makpid on eating everything, We're, we don't chas shalom, don't want to waste. So the mitzvot we started with, five years into it, still the same mitzvot. But the Rambam taught us, like the train, give us an alarm. Alarm! You haven't done tshuva yet. What do you mean I tshuva? Keep Shabbat. Keep ta'at mishpacha. My, my wife is wearing mitpachat. She took off the wig. The kids go to yeshiva. I pay $500 each a month. I eat kosher food. What? What do you want for my life? What, everybody's going to go to Gainom except you. The Rambam says, you haven't done tshuva yet. Why you haven't done tshuva yet? He says, because tshuva is not just for the easy big things. Not easy as in easy to do. Easy to understand that you have to do tshuva for them. The Rambam in Ilchot Tshuva specifically says, on the third halacha, tshuva is not for the big things that are obvious, like Shabbat and kosher and tarat mishpacha. It's not just for that. What's tshuva be'emet? Tshuva of the midot. The things that are difficult for you. The things that require you to change your life, your behavior, your way. To change you, to become a better version of you. Not a different you, a better version of you. That's tshuva. Now how can we get to that level? He explains to us in the same place. He says, look, tshuva has a several step process. First you have to commit to stopping. Stop sinning. If you haven't stopped sinning, you haven't started tshuva. If you're continuing to sin... There's nothing to talk about. Step two, three, and four are not relevant to you. Until you stop wasting seed, until you stop eating non-kosher, until you stop walking around like a goy, until you stop acting like one, until you stop being like one, until you stop doing everything that you're doing that's against Hashem, you haven't started tshuva. So first things first, stop. Alarm. Okay. The guy stops. He stops driving on Shabbat. He stops eating at uh, Burger King. He stops eating at McDonald's. He stops uh, touching his wife when she's not nidan. So he stops. Okay, step number two. Commit to not doing it again. But I stopped. Yes, commit. You're not going to do it again. Okay, so I'm not going to do it again. Step three. Regret it. Wait a minute. Didn't I regret it already in the beginning? No, that's what we learned last time. 
A person does not arrive at regretting until he stops for a long time. And the reason why is the Gemara teaches us when a person first makes a sin the first time, it's simply because he does not consider the punishment. Either because his rabbi never told him there's punishment, or he never learned from the book about punishment, or he avoided learning about punishment, even when the rabbi tried to tell him he didn't want to hear it. He stopped both, stopped hearing. He put his, uh, you know, his fingers in his ears. He didn't want to hear it. La, 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 la. No, don't tell me about stuff like that. I just want to talk about nice things, nice things. So he made a sin because he never considered the bad stuff. He never considered that there's a punishment. He never considered that there's a spiritual and a physical cancer. That's the first time he sinned. By the second time he sinned, Rabotai Karim, is Yetzirah tells him, it's allowed. It's not a sin. Why? Look, the first time you sinned, you weren't considering the punishment. And good you didn't consider. Because look, nothing happened. Look, you drove on Shabbat, you got to your destination. You drove to the beach on Shabbat, where'd you go? You got to the beach. You didn't get the car accident. You enjoyed yourself even. You went to the beach, you looked at everything that's not allowed, nothing bad happened. You even took one of the girls and you, she became your wife for a day. Look, you enjoyed it. Second time you went, look, nothing happened. Nothing happened. By the second time a person makes a sin in his eyes, it's allowed. So the Rambam teaches us that only after you've stopped sinning for an extended period of time and you've committed to stopping the sin for an extended period of time, then you've, your soul has been outside of that sin, has been removed from the sin for long enough to realize finally it's a sin. And only once you realize it's a sin against the hen that feeds you, you start regretting it. But as long as you're sinning, you're not going to regret it. As long as you're not committed to not sinning, you're not going to regret it. As long as it's still fresh, you're not going to regret it. Why? Because in reality, you still think it's allowed, even though you stopped doing it. So up to here is what we got to last time. But most people don't get this far. Most people don't get to a point of regretting. They start doing tshuva, but they never get to regret how do we know? They like to talk about their past in a positive way. I remember when we went out with those girls that one time. I remember when I went out to that casino and you won and we lost and we won and everybody had a kumbaya together and it was fun, it was great. Remember those times? Remember when we had that, that dinner at that non-kosher restaurant, how delicious it was? Remember the this and remember everybody reminisces about their sins in the past. Why? Because they don't regret it. In fact, they're proud of it. Ah, when I was your kid, I had seven girlfriends. Father tells his kid that's going to yeshiva now. Thinking it's something to be proud of. When I was your kid, ah, when I was your age, I had seven girlfriends. And he's proud of these sins, not realizing that Yom Kippur doesn't help him. He just went, Yom Kippur, he fasted. He fasted. He did the songs. He did the songs with everybody. and all everything he did. Everything he did. Came out of Yom Kippur, same behemoth that he started. Why? He never did Shuba. The Mishnah Bura says, if Yom Kippur does not get you to think 
and delve in tshuva, you just did a diet for a day. You didn't fast. It's not a fast. It's not a fast. Sorry. Try next time. 20 years the guy is fasting, hasn't thought about tshuva since the first time. He thinks he already did tshuva. No, I've already bowed tshuva 20 years. How you bowed tshuva 20 years? I keep tshuva 20 years. The monkey's keeping tshuva for 25 years. As a matter of fact, he never violated tshuva once. But he doesn't have a share of the world to come. So the Ben Bagbag tells us you have to delve into it, delve into it, delve into the mitzvah of tshuva, delve into the mitzvah of sukkah, delve into every single mitzvah and you'll find everything in it. What does it mean, everything? Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, you'll find everything in it. You have to grow old in it. Meaning... Don't ever think, I'm not sure what just happened. Don't ever think that you're finished to do tshuva. As you continue to learn Torah, you continue to learn the halachot. And you'll see there's always something more. There's always something more. There is one website called HebrewBooks.org or .com. They have something like 70 or 75,000 Sifrei Kodesh online for free. Not the whole book, a good part of the book. And if you want to get the rest of the book, you have to pay a few shekels. Now, people think, wow, 70,000 books, a lot of books. All of those books that they have available, which by the way, a few of them is Rabbi uh, Ephraim Kachlon's books are on there also. is not even 1% of 1% of the books we have available to us today. It's not even 1% of 1% of the Torah that we have available to us. And the Torah that we have available to us is not even 1% of 1% of the Torah itself. We have the essence of Torah, not the whole thing. Meaning that if you start studying now and you avoid sleep magically, Divinely, you don't sleep. Not like Yaakov Avinu for 14 years. For 14,000 years. You don't sleep for 14,000 years. And you study 24 hours a day, you're still not going to finish even 1% of the Torah that's available. So, in Shemaim, when someone comes up to Shemaim and they ask him, how come, how come you live such a life? How come you made so many sins with the girls? How come you made so many sins with this and with sins with that? Oh, I was bored. I was bored. The Bet-Din of Shemaim is going to tell you, you were bored? There are millions and millions of books, you fool, that have endless amount of wisdom. And you have found a way to be bored? How can you be bored with so much information? A person once asked me, saw me walking around reading a book. He says, you always read? I say, no, but I'm reading now. <laughs> What's the problem? And it was, he was dumbfounded by the fact that he saw me walking and reading at the same time. Why? 
because he doesn't understand that the little book that I was holding contains the truth I'm looking for. Now, if you had a book that added the truth you're looking for your entire life, to you, that's Gan Eden. Someone that's not looking in the book, that means they don't realize the truth is in it. That means they're still in Genom, but they think it's Gan Eden. They think that walking around and looking at the birds and the trees, that's going to give them joy in life. So that Ben Bagbag says, grow old with it, go gray over it. The Torah is the only thing in life for which it is worth wearing out your own strength. A person should not rely on his memory, but rather he should grow old and worn out from his consistent review. Now, most people think that you only get Torah if you have a good memory. You were born smart. There's nothing further from the truth. Most Jews and non-Jews have heard of the Rambam. The Rambam was not born the Rambam. The Rambam was born Moshe, little Moshe. And little Moshe was the youngest of his brothers. And in fact, they considered him the fool of the family. Because his mom died and all the other brothers came from a different mom and he wasn't exactly treated so well. And even his father, for some time, Called him the butcher's boy. Because the first wife, his mom's father was a butcher. He says, yeah, you're his boy. You're not mine. Why? My my son's a chachamim. Rambam didn't have the best brain in the world. When his father said that, the Rambam ran away. He went to the Bekneset, opened the Aron HaKodesh, took the Sefer Torah, and started crying all night. Cried himself to sleep. Please, Hashem, open up my brain. But not please, Hashem, he cried one time and he finished. No, no, no. He cried, and then he decided to start studying. But not for one day. Not for two days. Not for three days. For every single day for the rest of his life. There was never a moment he didn't study, even during his work, even during his walking. He would tell people, that he doesn't have enough time to spit, to swallow his own spit, because of all the things he does. As a profession, he was the doctor of the king, he was doctor of the people, he was a philosopher, a scientician, he was a scientist, he was a lot of different things. But he was the Gdolado also at the same time. And he wrote the Mishneh Torah, the Yad Chazaka. Why? Because he didn't stop. He didn't stop learning. And that's what made him the Rambam. Now what about his brothers that were big Chachamim, that had the natural gift, the natural gift, the brain, the big brain, the good heritage, the DNA they had of big Chachamim. Which one of you knows their name? No one. You know why? Because no one knows their name because they didn't become big anything. They may have been decent people, but they didn't become the Rambam. Why? Because to become the Rambam, or the Maharsha, or Ravavadya, 
or any one giant in Am Yisrael requires a second part of the Mishnah. Second part of the Mishnah it says, grow old and gray over it. You have to toil in Torah. You have to try really hard. Don't think that because you read it once, therefore you know it. Don't think that just because you tried once or twice, therefore that's enough. You have to toil and toil and toil. But it's telling you something unique here. It's not telling you toil only, because it already told you that. It tells you, grow old and gray over it. Symbolizing that the only way to inherit real Torah wisdom is by sacrificing your body. Sacrificing your body, meaning you are going to work hard until you can't move. You're going to work hard until... It's not that you are tired to go to sleep. It's that you can't stay up. The Marsha, Alava Shalom, also was born with a brain that they say was like a dlat. Dlat is like a pumpkin. As if there was nothing there. Similar story with the Marsha. He cried to Hashem. But crying was not enough. Crying is a one-time thing. Everyone cries at some point. Sometimes you bump your finger and your toe in the door. You start crying because it hurts. That's not the type of crying we're talking about. Someone told me one time, they were driving on the highway. And like all of us, you drive and you sometimes you see billboards. It's better not to look at billboards, by the way, because 9 out of 10 of them are immodest garbage. And the 1%, the, 10, the 1 out of 10 that's uh, not immodest is still a waste of your time anyway. Better off focusing on the road, listen to Shio Torah. But anyway, if you happen to, by reflex, see the billboards, me scan this guy who's driving. And he saw a billboard. It says, come and find out why Jesus created you. Now, boy, if at least a couple of you left, you find it funny. He didn't find it funny. He started hysterical crying for a half hour, he says. He started hysterical crying for a half hour, he says. A half hour, he started hysterical. He couldn't control himself. He had to go to the store. He had to stay in the car. He couldn't go into the store because he would start crying. It bothered him so much that someone just said that there's a different God. The fact that they say the Trinity, Shminity, uh, Mashiach, all the nonsense that we hear about all the time, we all heard it. And, but for some reason, this affected his neshama in a very peculiar way that someone called said that his father doesn't exist. Somebody else is his father. Somebody else is his creator and they gave him a name, Jesus. And it ruined his day. He started hysterical crying. That's a pure neshama. That's a neshama that's not thinking about himself, what can Hashem do for me? That's a neshama that's connected to Hashem. says, what can I do for Hashem? What can I do for Hashem? So a person that wants to inherit Torah needs to already start thinking like this. Needs to push their body to limits.
make sure that every little bit of time they have, they learn Torah. Outside of their obligations to work, to spend some time with the family, they have to learn Torah with all of that other time. And they have to make extra sacrifices for it. Because the only thing in this world that's worth sacrificing for is the Torah. And here Ben Bagbag is telling us, you have to sacrifice to the point where literally your body starts to feel like an old man's body. You see old men walking around, all crouched and bent over. If they're like this because only because of age, there's nothing to admire about it. But if you see, like I saw this couple of times, Tamidecha Chachamim, that spent so much time bending over the book, that literally they, they form the deformity in their back, that their head is always like this now. That's someone you want to admire. That person has spent so much time bending over the book, reading the book, reading the Gemara, reading the Shuchan Aruch, reading the Torah, that their body got more used to that position than the regular position of standing up, that's someone to admire. That's a person that has Torah. Rav Elchanan Wasserman one time says, if a person's friend tells him that his face is dirty, and another friend tells him that his face is clean, how can a person know the truth? One person tells him, your face is dirty. You have a little smudge in your face. See, so he has his face. Do I have something? No. Perfectly clean. Perfectly clean. So, Rabbi Allah Shalom says, likewise, when a person has doubts in his life, whether they're spiritual doubts or mundane about his, his, his life, this is where he needs to use the Torah as the mirror. He has to allow himself to gain a true and realistic perspective of his own situation. He has to arrive at Da'at Torah. So whenever a person is in doubt, the Tana is going to consult him. The Tana in the Torah, the Tanaim, Akdoshim, is going to consult him and give him a real look at the, at the truth. And that's the only way to get an objective reality. A lot of people think that they have reality. But their reality is their own version of reality. In order for the reality to be real reality, it has to be objective. Meaning, it has to be true under all conditions, not just under your condition. Under your circumstance. There's this woman about Israel who tells me a couple of people came to her house to sell her some uh, product and there were uh, religious people and they couldn't help but compliment her on her personality, how happy she was, how excited she was, how energetic she was. And she says, people always tell me that. I'm so energetic and I'm so happy. 
I'm the happiest person they know. And he says, only you, meaning me, only you make me cry. Everyone else tells me I'm happy. I'm the happiest person I know. But every time I talk to you, make me cry. Not I talk to her personally, but either exchange an email or she watches a shield. Why? How could it be? She must see hundreds and hundreds of people every year. According to her, every single one of them says, you're such a happy person. When she looks in the mirror, she says, you're such a happy person. Her husband sees her, you're such a happy person. The kids see her, you're such a happy person. Rabbi Reuben sees her, why are you so unhappy? Why are you so crying? Why are you crying? Why are you so unhappy? How could it be? Why is it? Why why do I bring the sadness out of people? Because the entire happiness she tells everyone about and everyone responds to her that they believe she has is one big lie. One fake story that almost every single one of us lie to ourselves about and think we have also. We think we're happy. We think we're happy. We're convinced we're happy sometimes because we present ourselves as if we're happy. We smile even though we feel like crying. We laugh even though we really want to kill the guy who just said that. Even though it's really a defense mechanism. You know, some people, you say something uncomfortable, then they start laughing uncontrollably. Why? It's a defense mechanism. Oh, it's psychiatry. The meds, defense mechanism. It's a different defense mechanism. Some people laugh excessively. One big lie. Why is it one big lie? How could somebody have such a big lie that not only is she fooling herself, but everyone around her bought the lie? Because they're all living the same life. They all think that their happiness is based on how you look. That you smile. How much money you have in the bank. Or at least how it looks like you have a lot of money in the bank. How big your house is. Or how clean it is. Or how many nice pictures you have on the wall. Or how clean your car is. Or if your car is a brand new model, or not a brand new model, or if your dress is something no one's ever seen you in before, because chas v'shalom, they see you in the same dress twice. Hashem tells Am Yisrael, for 40 years you didn't have to change your dresses in, in, a, in, a, in a desert. Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael, look at the miracle Hashem gave you. 40 years you didn't have to change your dress. Forty years, Am Yisrael all wore the same thing. Why couldn't Hashem give them another dress? Just like gave the man from Shammai, give him a brand new custom-made dress, custom-made suit, 
custom this, custom. Why? Why same thing? Forty years away and the same thing. He's trying to teach us that's not what's going to make you happy. Wearing a second dress that's blue and black and green and this and that, that's not going to make you happy. That's just going to give you the illusion. Happiness, Rabotaye Karim, is not something that you just happen to have. Happiness is something you can fake. You can fake happiness. But you can't just force yourself into happiness. Happiness is a state of being. Meaning, you're just simply happy. You don't just get happy from a store. You don't get happy because you read a book. You don't get happy because you got married. You don't get happy because somebody gave you money. You don't get happy because you got married. All of those things give you moments of happiness, moments of joy. But true happiness is a state of being. Meaning that no one can take it away from you. Even sadness cannot take away your happiness. Sadness is a different state of being. And you can be sad and happy at the same time. But most people are simply sad and fake the happiness. They're very good at being sad. Very, very good at being sad. Experts. But being happy, they can only fake it. Why? Because they have no idea how to be happy. Now in this Priti Shalom that I brought you, my dear friend in Canada, Rabbi Ifra, puts it together twice a year and uh, gave us the schut to be part of it both myself and Rabbi Ephraim, to write articles in it. Many of Chachmei Israel write in it throughout the last several years they've been putting it together. You have the Gdolei Ado write in this newsletter, this magazine. And it happens to be that in this issue, we talked about happiness. Because that's the mitzvah of Sukkot. That's the mitzvah of Sukkot. V'samachta b'chagecha. The problem with them, if you see the article that I wrote, it combines a bunch of articles that I've written, plus add a little bit in the between, in the beginning, in the end, and in between, to put them all together, to combine it, and explain to us and remind us that the problem with the mitzvah of being happy on Sukkot is that theoretically it sounds great. The problem is that most of us don't even know how to do it during the rest of the year. How do you expect us to do it for a week straight? A person needs to understand that happiness is not just something that just happens. If you are truly happy, man, no one can take it away from you. If you truly had the truth, no one can take it away from you. Someone that has the truth is not afraid of questions. Is not afraid of falsehood. Is not afraid of a challenging opposite opinion. Someone that has the truth has no problem with whatever you said. Even if he doesn't know the answer, it still does not change his state of being. We live in such a weak generation that every other day somebody tells me, yeah, listen, somebody just gave me a few questions about the Torah. I didn't have the answers. I don't know. I feel weak. I feel weakened by it. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. If it's true... Is God really real? I'm not really sure if I should keep Shabbat anymore. I'm not really sure if I should get married, stay married, this, that. 
what they ask you, and it gives you a couple of simple questions. Most of the time it's Shtuyot. So this weakened you? It didn't weaken you. You're a liar. It didn't weaken you. It gave you an excuse. You wanted to get out. You wanted to get out the whole time. He gave you a reason. He gave you an excuse. Because you said, listen, I, I don't have a reason to get out. I, I don't, I don't want to be here, really. I don't want to be in a sukkah. I don't want to be given a shiur Torah. I don't want to learn. I don't want to be Jewish. I don't want it. But I know it's true, so I can't leave. But then he brought you the question and said, oh, no, where, who was before God? Oh, you don't know. Ah, so the whole thing is uh, shaking. Oh, say, so, okay, so now I have to leave. No, 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 my friend. You didn't want to be here in the first place. You didn't want to be here in the first place. You're just using him as an excuse with the nonsense that he come up with, and you made it something significant. You never believed the truth. You never knew the truth. You just had a few things that just like weakened you now, they weakened you before, in the opposite way. A Jew is obligated to find the truth as if it's the only thing that matters. That's what Shlomo HaMelech says, you have to look for it like you look for treasure. Treasure is something that's priceless. If somebody told you, I hid a hundred billion dollars in the middle of Aventura. First guy that finds it, keeps it. Everyone here gets up. Thank you for the shield. We've already been in for two hours. Enough. Thank you. We have something. We have to go look for the treasure. And everyone goes and takes the hammers and the nails and the, the tools and steals tractors, puts the house on the market because hey, I have to already prepare for my biggest house, about to find a hundred billion dollars. Everyone goes to look for it like it's treasure. Shlomo Amelech says, look for the Torah like it's treasure. Look for the truth like it's treasure. Why? Because if you look for it like it's treasure, you'll find it. And no one can ever weaken you. If you look for the truth, you will find it. Part of that truth is happiness. Part of what the truth gives you is happiness. When you have the truth, not you think it's the truth, or maybe it's the truth, or it sounds like the truth, and I kind of like it because it's true. No, no, no. When you have the truth, then you have happiness. Why? Because there's nothing more pleasurable on this planet than knowing for sure you're right. Nothing more pleasurable than it. It's more pleasurable than any physical thing you can have. It's more pleasurable than any thought you can have. It's more than anything. Knowing for sure you already have a made hand. The guy's betting into you and he's putting more into it and everybody's putting more into it into the pot. And you already know you have a royal flush. You have the winning hand, but they're all just putting the whole life savings into it. And you just, oh, sure, okay, I'll play with you. Sure, put more. Oh, you want more? Okay, sure. You're not stressed out. You're not worried at all. You have the nuts. You're thinking, you, have, you know for sure you have the winning hand. There is no other hand that can beat you. It doesn't exist. There's no better pleasure than that in the world. When you have the truth... You have happiness. Why? Because no one can challenge the truth. They can only challenge a partial truth. 
uh, a truth that you're not so sure if it's true so much. It's a true sometimes, as long as it agrees with what you think it should be true. It's a true that's really like subjective. It's true according to you, but some others may say otherwise. Some call you happy. Others call you manic depressant that really looks happy. And by the way, I studied psychology. The guys, the people that are manic depressants, they don't walk around with their, their heads between their legs. They don't walk around like that. They walk around like Robin Williams. They walk around laughing, ha ha ha, always like flabbergasted and happy, and then they kill themselves. That's the manic depressant. The manic depressant doesn't walk around with their head between their legs all the time. Sometimes they do. But many times, they have the best illusion, the best lie in the world. They look happier than everybody else. But they cry at home when they're alone. When you have the truth, no one can change it. When you have happiness, no one can change it. Can a person who's manic depressant ever be happy though? Absolutely. The only reason why a person ever gets to be manic depressant is because all they have is lies. Lies create depression. The Yetzirah lies to you. He tells you your case is hopeless. You're never going to be successful. You're never going to get married. You're never going to have kids. You're never going to overcome this. You're never going to be happy. You never, 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 never. The Yetzirah's number one job is to convince you that the terror that you're dealing with, the agony that you're dealing with, is not going to go away. It's not going to go away. The pain you have is not going to go away. That's why people get into depression. Because they believe the Yetzirah. They believe the lies. They believe the lies. They believe they're never going to be successful. Why? Because they believe that the feeling they have today is permanent. I know this not only from studying it. I know it because I felt it for most of my life. I'm not telling you about what's happiness, what's not happiness, and writing about it because I read it in some book only. Or some books. I'm telling you because of what I've gone through in my life. The reality is most people simply do not even know how to attain happiness. They think they can attain happiness through something physical, something material. Little do they know that happiness has nothing to do with it. Depression, on the other hand, has everything to do with it. Depression is solely based on material. It's solely based on the physical. Anyone that you see is depressed, it's because of something in their material world, in their physical world, that went wrong. Someone died, a shiduch went wrong, a, 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 a money lost, a, a job lost, fame and fortune lost, whatever it is. But it was material. Because happiness is a spiritual feeling. It's a state of being. Once attained, you cannot lose it. Because it means you possess the truth. If you possess the truth, the truth cannot be undone. Which means that as long as you're not happy, you don't have 100% of the truth. You're close to it, 
Maybe you have 50%, maybe you have 55, maybe you have 60, maybe 70, maybe even 99. But as long as there's a little bit of misery in you, that means you don't have 100%. Because if you knew what the feeling is of 100%, you would know that every single thing in your life is part of that truth. That truth being that part of the system of Hashem and how He runs the world. How every single piece of your life has a purpose that's part of that overall big story. Even if that purpose is simply for you to have some pain by smashing the door on your finger, it has a purpose. Flat tire has a purpose. Finding out somebody you know died has a purpose. Losing money has a purpose. Making money has a purpose. Making it just to lose it has a purpose. Your wife yelling at you, your husband yelling at you, your kids yelling at you, everyone yelling at you. You get embarrassed. You have pain. You have this, you have that. Everything has a purpose. Once you understand that everything has a purpose, but not just has a purpose for him, has a purpose for you, you're getting closer to the truth. But the reason why people suffer is because they think that a lot of the things in their life are purposeless. Meaning, the guy has pain in his arm, and he doesn't think there's any purpose for the arm, maybe Allah, other than maybe Hashem is punishing him. Maybe. But he's like, why is Hashem punishing me? I kept Shabbat, I kept Tahad Mishmacha, I kept Kosher, and he's only counting all the good things he did. He's not counting the fact that all the sins he made. He's counting all the good things he did. So he's counting, look, I did this, I did good, good, check, 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 check. Oh, so, the, so Hashem, I don't know, Hashem must have missed something. And he's just giving me a pain. And I don't even know why I have a pain. So this pain must be purposeless. Maybe I'm suffering for other people, even though I don't want to suffer for them. Because they made sin. So I'm suffering for them because I'm such a tzaddik. I'm suffering for them now too. So he's thinking, yeah, I don't want to suffer for them. Let them suffer for themselves. I already suffered enough. So this pain I have in my arm, ah, it's purposeless pain. Oh, this uh, bad news that I got, ah, it's purposeless. Oh, this money that I lost, oh, it's purposeless. You start thinking that a lot of the bad things that we have in our life are purposeless. As soon as a person thinks that what they have in their life is purposeless, they now have 100% lie 100% lie there is nothing that's purposeless in the world Rabbi Akiva says in the Gemara Masechet Brachot at the end of the Masechet everything that the merciful one does is always the best he's not even saying it has a purpose he's saying it has even more than that Seeing everything that happens in your life, the pain, the agony, the bad news, the good news, the news in between, everything has a good purpose. Not just a purpose, a good one. But not just a good one, the best one. Why are you suffering? Because you don't believe it. You don't believe the Torah. You're a liar if you say you do. Why? If you did, you'd never suffer a day in your life.
a few people came to one of the Gedolei Adol, Rabbi Elimelech Milizhensk. He said, Kvod Arav, it says in the Gemara, you're supposed to thank Hashem for the good and the bad. How do we do it? Thanking for the good, we know. It's easy. You just won the lotto. How are you not going to thank Him? You have a beautiful sukkah. How are you not going to thank Him? You have a beautiful family. How are you not going to thank Him? You have beautiful this, beautiful that. How are you not going to thank Him for good things? You sit down at Shukhan Shabbat. You sit down at Shukhan on Sukkot. You see your family. Everyone has eyes, ears, nose. Everyone's breathing. No one has any tubes coming out of their body. No one's screaming from pain. No one is thinking about the mortgage they can't pay. Everybody's eating. Baal Hashem has enough food for everyone. Double. How are you not happy? How are you not thanking Hashem? So of course you're going to be happy. It's easy. If you're not happy, we have a different shield for you. But the reality is, how do you thank Hashem for the bad stuff? You lost money, argument, all the food tastes like poison. The wife yelled at you because she says you're picky. The husband yelled at you because he said you don't know how to cook. The, the, the rain started coming on your sukkah. It was too hot. It was too cold. It was too this. The bugs came. The people didn't come. Just bugs came. No people. Just bugs. Shem Yechem, what happened? How do you think Hashem for this? How do you think Hashem for this? Rabbi Elimelech Milizhinsk says, Chidush. What's Chidush? Go to my brother. No, you. No, no, no. Go to my brother. He knows. He knows. He's an expert on happiness. Expert. Who? Rabbi Zusha. Where does he live? He gives them the address. They go to the They get to a different city. Napoli. They get to Napoli. They say, we're looking for Rabbi Zusha. Oh, Rabbi Zusha. You see that road over there? Go to the end of the road. You see, we're almost at, it's like, the end, the end, the end. And on the left, there's absolutely nothing. On the right, there's almost nothing. There's just a little shack. Yeah, goes knock on the door. Okay, maybe they're sending us to a place. Somebody actually knows how to get to the Gdola door, how to get to his house. They go to the end of the road, left, nothing, right, there's a little shack, broken, almost no roof, holes in the roof, holes in the walls, holes in everything. It looks like a chicken uh, farm. doesn't look like a house of people. Abotai, they come to the door, they're scared, maybe if they knock on the door that's half broken, and holes in the walls, and holes in the ceiling, holes in everything, they think the whole thing is going to collapse. But they hear happiness and song inside, they look inside, they see... Little kids with ripped clothes, holes in their clothes, jumping around in happiness. And then the Abba is happy with the book, and he's learning, and he's happy. Mitzvah gdola to be, besimcha, besimcha. They don't know what to do with themselves. Maybe this is a crazy house, a barbanel, crazy house they have. What's going on here? Everybody's happy, they don't have any, half the outfit uh, the chickens ate. They're not sure what to do. They tap on the door because they're afraid if they knock, the whole thing's going to break. Not the door, the whole house. They tap on the door. And the old man inside says, Oh, with the ripped clothes, with the ripped pants, with the ripped everything. With tzitzit, zakat, everything. He's, oh, 
Come, come, Bukhim Abayim, come, come, who are you, how are you, come, come, we have something for you, you must have walked a long way. Yeah, what we're looking for, 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 for Rabbi Zusha. And the old man says, oh, Zusha, yeah, I'm Zusha, I'm Zusha. Yeah, Rabbi Zusha, you, you're Rabbi Zusha, I'm Zusha. You're the brother of Rabbi Elimele? Oh, yeah, yeah, my brother, my big brother, yeah. Tzadik, yeah, yeah, my big brother. He says, yes, I'm related, yeah, yeah. I'm Zusha. He's, he's Rabbi Elimelech Milujinsk. I'm Zusha. She says, well, your brother, oh, Rabbi Elimelech. He starts telling him, he Rabbi Elimelech, his brother. After he finishes, says, okay, your brother, oh, my brother. And he gives him more compliments about his brother. After he finishes the compliment, he says, okay, but for the love, we have a, he sent the seat to ask you a question. Me? He's asking Zusha a question? Yes, he said, you have a, he said you have, you're an expert. Zusha is an expert? Yeah, Zusha is an expert. Well, what's, the, what's the question? Hopefully I know. He says, well, Rabbi Elimelech says that you're an expert in the question of how we know how to be grateful and thank Hashem, like the Torah commands us, for good things. But how do we say thank you and be grateful for bad things, just as if we were grateful for good things? All of a sudden, the smile, the cheerful face of Rabbi Zusha turns to a very, very serious face that's confused. He says, I'm very, very surprised at Rabbi Elimelech. Why would he send you to Zusha to answer such a question? What would I know about such a question? So the, 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 the Talmudim are confused. Like, what, 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 you don't know? Uh, what do you mean? He said you're an expert in happiness. And, he goes, he said, I'm an expert in this question. Yes, Kvodarab, he says, not only you're, he says, you are expert. You know the answer. He says, I don't know the answer to this question of how to be grateful to Hashem for bad things just like good things. I don't know. Because they're looking around. They see the whole house is about to collapse. There's holes in the ceiling. There's holes in the walls. It looks like the chickens ate the clothes. Like, what do you mean? He's an expert. They're like, they're not, they're a little confused. What's going on here? What do you mean? He's happy as can be. He's happier than all of us put together. In our dreams, even. And he's telling, he's not an expert. He's like, no, no, but for the Rav, how can we say thank you for the bad things? He goes, exactly. I don't know. I never had a bad things happen to me in my life. How would I know to thank Hashem for bad things? I never had a single bad thing happen to me in my life. Now let me ask you a question, Rabotai. Do you think Rabbi Zusha is blind? You can't be blind at Hamid Chacham at the same time. You have to learn Torah. You can't be crazy at Hamid Chacham, Gdol Ador, at the same time. You think he didn't see the holes in the wall? in the ceiling, and his kids are walking around with ripped clothes, and his wife is wearing the same dress for 40 years, like Am Yisrael in the desert, only this one is actually getting old, whereas Am Yisrael is, uh, the dress never got old. 
You think he doesn't see the, the, the poor financial shape that he's in? Of course he sees it. So what does he mean when he says, I never had a bad thing happen in my life? What does he mean? He means, Rabotai, that he has arrived at the truth. He knows the truth. The truth of everything. The truth of the purpose of the world and the truth of his own purpose in the world. And he knows that everything that's happening to him and to everyone else is by the same conductor. Is being done by the same leader. By the same God. By the same king. By the same creator. By the same hand. And that hand only does the best. Even if it means walking around with pants that have holes in them. Even if it means living in a difficult situation where all you see is darkness. It's the best for you. He saw it, he lived it, he understood it, and he believed it. And once you believe it, happiness is a state of being. It cannot be taken away from you. He sees the holes, but he sees them as good things. Not just as good things, as the best. This hole, the best. Why is this hole the best? Why is the heat in the sukkah the best? Why is the dress having this? Why is, why is all this stuff the best? Because Hashem did it. He wouldn't do it if it wasn't the best. The reason why we suffer is because we don't believe it. The reason why we suffer is because we think we know better about the best. We think we know better than the Creator about the best. We have a better system than Him. Let me teach you a few things, God. Let me give you a hand with this, God. If you give me some more money, I'll do more mitzvot. Let me help you out. You need to give me more money so I can do more mitzvot. You, give me, you need to give me better this and better that so I can do more for you. Let me give you a hand. But that's not what Hashem is telling you. He's telling you, I want you like you are. And I want you to be the best under these conditions. No money, be the best with no money. No wife, be the best with no wife. No husband, be the best with no husband. Sickness, be the best with sickness. Say, Baruch Hashem, I have pain. Why? Because I'm asking for something else from you. I'm asking from you to give me something called Mesirut Nefesh. What is Mesirut Nefesh, Rabotai Yekarim? Ben Bagbag says to you, Umina lo tova Do not steer away from a Torah day and night. A person should never abandon his Torah study. Because you can never have a better portion in the world than this Torah. You can never have anything better because it's the only way to get the truth. But now Ben Heihei says something extraordinary. That Alvai we understand what he says. Alvai. Ben Heihei says, Lefum tsara agra. The reward is in proportion to the exertion. Rabodai Yakarim. The Mishnah completes with a lesson for life. When Hashem is giving you difficulty, He's giving you a gift. 
What gift is this? He's giving you a gift called an opportunity to have mesirut nefesh, sacrifice. If you have sacrifice, you can inherit olamaba. No sacrifice, no olamaba. The Gemara says in Masichet Shabbat and also Masichet Brachot and several other places. Anyone that wants even a chance to inherit Torah, meaning to inherit the truth, must be willing to sacrifice their life. Mamash! In our tefillah, the different parts of the tefillah, if you read the small print, it says right before this tefillah, a person must think, have the kavanah, he has to have the kavanah, that he's ready to sacrifice his life for Hashem. What does it mean, sacrifice his life for Hashem? In the old days, it actually meant mamash. The Christian comes, tells you, go and pray to J.C. Penny, or I'll kill you. You say, please kill me. Not just kill me, please. Thank you. I'll die before I pray to you, J.C. Penny. I'll die before I violate the Torah for you. I'll die for it. I'll die for the Torah. That's the old days. Today you don't have so much of this. Today you have it easy. Today the tefillah tells you when you read this tefillah, you have to be prepared to sacrifice your life for Hashem Mamash. What does it mean to sacrifice your life? No one's coming to your house saying, I'm going to kill you if you don't become a Christian. I'm going to kill you if you don't start praying to cows and rats and Buddhas. No one says that to you. So what does it mean? The Torah is telling you, you have to be willing to die for the mitzvot. You have to be willing to die for mitzvot nefesh. You have to be willing to suffer to achieve any mitzvah. Why? Because you'll notice, any mitzvah, any mitzvah, I've noticed this in my own life, any mitzvah you've done in your life, if you didn't suffer for it, you didn't enjoy it. Review yourself. Go home tonight. Go home tonight. Take a self-check of yourself. Any mitzvah you've ever done. If you're a woman, modesty. If you're a man, praying, learning, attaining anything significant according to spirituality, not money. Even your tzedakah. Any tzedakah you've ever enjoyed giving. Any learning you've ever achieved. If you've ever enjoyed it, it means you suffered first. You'll never enjoy a mitzvah without suffering first. And I really mean enjoy it. I don't mean, oh yeah, that was fun. That was cotton candy is fun. I don't mean cotton candy. I mean real, genuine happiness. You are like in a high. You're on a spiritual high. You were just sitting there and you felt like you're on top of the world because you just did something significant. You did something big. You just finished the masechet that took you, I don't know, a year, two years, three years. You felt like your eyes were going to bleed. You just uh, achieved something. You uh, did something significant spiritually. At the end, you felt this high. If you haven't, you got to try it.
But I'll tell you why you haven't. The reason why you haven't enjoyed a single mitzvah is because you haven't been willing to suffer. You haven't been willing to suffer for the mitzvah. You haven't been willing to give mesirut nefesh. And Ben Hey Hey is telling you the reward is in proportion to the exertion. If you want that high in this world and the next, you have to exert yourself in this world and the next. You have to exert yourself a lot. You want to just get a reward in the next world? Okay, then you can do something that's easy. You're not really suffering. You see a homeless guy, take five bucks, give the guy five bucks, or one dollar, or five cents, or whatever doesn't hurt you. Whatever doesn't hurt you. Sometimes some people, they give a million dollars, doesn't hurt them. It's all relative. If it doesn't hurt you, it's not mesirut nefesh. Sometimes you have a person, they donate a hundred dollars to Bezat Hashem. And I know that person, that mitzvah for them, mesirut nefesh. Either because they're really stingy naturally, it's very hard for them to give. So to give a hundred dollars, it's like they give a million. They're suffering for a week over the hundred dollars until the next paycheck comes. For twenty thousand dollars, they're suffering for the hundred dollars because they're so cheap. Or otherwise, they don't have the money. They don't have the money. They're just struggling. They make two hundred dollars a week. They just gave. Uh, they saved over six months to get a hundred bucks. That hundred dollars for them is like Lamash, like Akidati Tak. That's a person. That hundred dollars is worth a lot more than somebody else that gave five, ten, twenty thousand dollars. Why? Because sometimes the guy that gave five, ten, twenty thousand dollars, it's easy for him. He makes fifty thousand a month. He makes fifty thousand a month, so he wrote a check for five thousand. Okay, it's five thousand, it's a lot of money, but he has a few million in the bank and his portfolio went up three, four hundred thousand dollars this week because uh, the stock market went up. So he gave a five thousand dollars. He makes himself feel like a tzaddik for a second. But in reality, the guy that gave the hundred dollars, he's going once he gets over that suffering. And he allows himself to see the significance in it. He'll enjoy the mitzvah. He'll enjoy it in this world. He'll enjoy the feeling. He'll enjoy the happiness that comes from that world. Because he has mesirut nefesh. Every mitzvah you have. If it doesn't come with mesirut nefesh. I'm telling you already now. You're never going to get real joy out of it. Maybe a little bit of joy. Maybe like temporary joy. Maybe 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. That's all you're going to get. But what I'm talking about. The mitzvah that has mesirut nefesh. That's the mitzvah that's going to give you joy permanently. A woman that has difficulty being modest, but is doing it purely because Hashem said so, and now is living a modest life even though it's difficult for her, because she sees that all of her friends are still dressing like prostitutes. But she is, wants to be but Hashem. She wants to be the daughter of Hashem. And she does it for Hashem, not because the community wants her to be that way. Because Hashem wants her to be that good. Eventually she'll enjoy that mitzvah. Eventually she'll enjoy that mitzvah. But a person that just does it because the community says so, or the rabbi says so, or the husband says so, she's never really doing it for the real reason. She'll never enjoy the mitzvah. She's just having the suffering. So, Ben Heihei is telling us something extraordinary. You ever want to arrive at true happiness... You have to have Mesirut Nefesh because your entire reward in this world and the next depends on it. Everything depends on it. And that's the problem with people that look for the easy way out. A lot of people look for the easy mitzvah. 
the ones you could just pick off. You know, instead of climbing the tree to get the beautiful, delicious apple, the beautiful, delicious fruit, they want to get the one that fell off the tree that has a worm in it. Why? Half the apple's still good. Let me have that one. Okay, I'm not going to eat the, uh, the half that has the worm. It's not kashel. But the other half, the worm is not there yet. Let me have that one. They're looking for the easy mitzvah. Let me go to the shiur that's right next to my house. Not the one that requires me to travel an hour and a half. No, an hour and a half, I'll watch it on YouTube. I'll watch it tomorrow. You know, I'll watch it because... I'm sure I'm going to live tomorrow. I'm sure I don't need to see this Torah today. I could just see it tomorrow just as well. And you start arguing with yourself. Yet yeah, even better on YouTube because then I can stop it and I can go to the bathroom. And then, of course, you can't learn to life. You don't go to the bathroom. And you give yourself all the reasons of why you shouldn't go to the shul. It's much easier to watch it at home at the comfortable of your bed and, and, and with your fa- all the excuses of why you shouldn't go to the shul. All the excuses that the Yetzirah tells you, don't be a Moser Nefesh. Don't sacrifice nothing. Only get the easy mitzvah. The love, just get it from the local store where it's the cheapest. Why? If it's cheap and it's expensive, it's the same thing. It came from a tree. It's not your fault that this tree is good, that tree is bad. It's not your fault. You did your effort. You did your effort. Like Hashem needs your mitzvah. Like you're doing Hashem a favor. People think they're doing Hashem a favor with their mitzvot. They keep looking for the easy way out. They look for the easy job. What should I do today? I remember I used to have some employees in my company. And they only look for the easy job. They come and you always see them in the file room. The guy's a salesman. But you see him in the file room. What are you doing in the file room? Oh, I'm putting everything together to be organized. Yeah, but you organized it yesterday, the drawers. Yeah, but, you know, if you, somebody else touched it, it's not organized. Yeah, well, okay, what are you organizing? No, the client files. I'm organizing them by alphabetical order. Okay, the next day, so what are you doing now? No, I'm, now I'm organizing it by alphabetical order with the state. Each state should have its own alphabetical order. Okay. What right now, the next day? Oh, I'm organizing alphabetical order by state, but also by religion, by state, by this, by city, by uh, net worth. A different shtuyot, they keep wasting their life. Why? It's the easy mitzvah. Why? Because the real job is go out there and make some sales and get a bunch of people to hang up in your face. We're not interested. We don't want you to call. Stop calling me. Stop hounding me. No, no, no. Go deal with those people and convince them to say yes. Oh, that's hard though. It's easy to play with the files. Yeah, but the files don't pay the bills, you moron. If you keep playing with the files, we're going to have to shut down the lights. Because we can't pay for the files. We can't pay for the electric that has the electric that you can see the files. We need sales. But it's easy to play with the files. Okay, then you should be a secretary. Not a salesman. If you want to be a Jew, you have to look for Mesirut Nefesh. You have to, be, you have to look for Mesirut Nefesh. If you want easy mitzvot, you should have been a goy. You should have been a cow. You should have been a rat. Or maybe an ant. Thank you. Maybe you should have been an ant. You have only one mitzvah. Work, work, work until you die. Six months later. That's your only mitzvah.
A person that wants to be a kosher Jew has to get used to working hard. If you're looking for easy jobs, you're looking for a different religion. You're looking for a different Torah. A Torah was built on sacrifice. Am Yisrael sacrificed from day one. From day one, Avraham Avinu sacrificed his entire life. Before he even knew for sure that Hashem is going to reward him or even recognize him. He was willing to die for Hashem by jumping into the fire. Before he knew for sure whether Hashem would recognize him or even reward him, Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he's not allowed to touch the queen of Kush, even though he was married to her for 40 years. The Midrash says that after he ran away from Egypt, he was the king of Kush for 40 years. And they made him the king and they actually married him to the former king's wife. And Moshe Rabbeinu did not touch her for 40 years. What Yosef HaTzadik was called a tzaddik for, for something that he did for a short period of time, Moshe Rabbeinu did for 40 years. Before he even knew whether Hashem is going to reward him or even recognize him. And she was one of the most beautiful women in the world, the Midrash says. He didn't touch her. Why? She's not part of Am Yisrael. She's not part of Am Yisrael. I cannot touch her. I cannot touch her. You put in your life, if the people find out from Kush, they find out you're not uh, trying to bring children to the world, there's no continuation to your, uh, to your kingdom, they're going to kill you. Let them kill me. Better they kill me than he kills me. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't become Moshe Rabbeinu just because Hashem said, oh, he's such a nice guy. He looks humble. Let's pick him. Without Mesirut Nefesh Rabotai, nothing is achieved for a Jew in this world. Nothing. If you're looking for the easy job, you're looking for the wrong religion. Nothing that we've ever achieved at Bezat Hashem has been easy. Anything that was ever easy always ended up being a disaster. Every single thing in my life that's ever connected to Torah, easy, disaster. You know what's really easy? Getting the wrong answer. That's really easy. Why? Wrong answer, you just shoot from the cuff. Ask a question. Ah, just, yeah, that sounds good to you. Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. That's easy, easy to do. You know what's also easy? Going to Gainome is easy. Why? A bunch of wrong answers. You know what's also easy? Being depressed is really easy. You have all the reasons in the world to be depressed. But the Mishnah in Avot completes chapter 5 by telling you, you want to be happy, you want the truth, you want to succeed as a Jew, you want to succeed as a human being, start working hard. Start working hard and hard only. Don't even look for easy things. Easy things are for animals. Easy things are for people that think they're animals. It's not for Am Yisrael. You want to be part of Am Yisrael? You want to be a Ben Torah? You want to be successful in your life? Hard work is required. You want easy? You'll have the same eternity as the cow. Same thing. 
she has an easy life. All she has to do all day, moo, once in a few, once in a while. Once she does moo every few hours, she's a good cow. If she doesn't do a moo, she says, oh, she, maybe she's getting sick, let's kill her first. Let's kill her before she, before they realize it. Before they call her taref, let's kill her. She didn't do, hasn't done moo in six hours. She hasn't moved in six hours for the rab. Okay, kill her, kill her. No, right now it's kashel. If it's 12 hours, not kashel. Right now it's 25,000 a cow. Right, if it, she doesn't move for 12 hours, it uh, goes down to 3,000. We sell to the Arabs. The point is, Abutai, you have to get used to hard work. No hard work, no success. You're looking for easy, you're looking to coast, you're looking to sleep eight hours a day, you're looking to learn whenever it's convenient, you learn, you're looking to only learn when it's air-conditioned and nice, you're looking to learn when it's convenient for you, when everyone's happy about it and you understand and you're not tired and all that stuff, you're looking for the wrong religion. You're looking for the wrong Torah. You want to succeed in life? Not only get used to working hard, only work hard. And you'll see it in your mitzvot, and you'll see it in your Torah. The only times you'll ever enjoy a mitzvah is if you worked hard for it. Only time. If you didn't work hard for it, I'll bet you anything. You're never going to enjoy it. Any joy you'll have will be so minute, you'll forget about it very easily. You'll forget about it very easily. That's the difference with Mesirut Nefesh. That's why Rabbi again, Allah Shalom, you read his book, Netive O, one of the many books that they put together on it, all of his lectures, that was translated to English. Mamash, a must read for anyone. Even though it's constantly new topics. Anyone that has heard his Shurim that speaks Hebrew knows this. Anyone that read the book knows this. It's a constant theme. Even though he talks about Yirat Shamayim and Gan Eden and Genom and all types of musar, and so on and so forth. It's a constant message that appeared throughout all of his lectures. Mesirut Nefesh. Why? Without Mesirut Nefesh, there's no Torah, there's no mitzvot, there's no lamaba, there's nothing. Without Mesirut Nefesh, there's no Am Yisrael. There's no Am Yisrael. That's why I tell anyone that tells me, oh yeah, it's so hard to convert. I don't feel bad for them. There's not a single convert that I feel bad for that it's hard for them to convert. Why? Welcome to the club. It's part of the fee. We have been suffering for 3,300 years plus. You think you're just going to walk here and schlep yourself in here with your family just because you passed some test? What does this look like? Christianity? What does it look like? uh, Med school? Or you want to be a lawyer or an accountant. You want to be a Jew? Get used to suffering. We're the best at it. We're the best at it, Rabotai. But only because we know that suffering has a purpose. Once you understand that the suffering has a purpose, you are that much closer to attaining true happiness. Not the fake happiness that people say they have. True happiness is a state of being. You wake up happy. You go to sleep happy. You have problems, you're happy. You don't have problems, you're happy. You're always happy. Why? You have the truth. Once you have the truth, you won't do anything for it. You won't do anything for it. Even if you don't feel like it, you still want to do it. Why? Because you're doing it for the truth. It's to maintain the truth. This Rabotai is the end of this Mishnah, this particular 
There's a lot more to talk about this, obviously, but this particular section of the Pirkei Avot, chapter 5, ends with this. The reward is in proportion to the exertion. You want a beautiful Olam Make sure that your mitzvot are just as beautiful. If your mitzvot are mitzvot that you bought from a closeout sale, they're halfway, they're refurbished, they're like you did Hashem a favor, your Lamba is going to look like also refurbished, ugly, rotten flowers, smelly a little bit. Your Lamba is going to look like just like your mitzvot. Your Lamba is also going to look like that. People that succeed are people that work hard. Any questions? Many. Many Jews. Uh, why does the Lubavitcher Rebbe say that every Jew will make it this time? And it's not going to be like in the Exodus where... Where does he say that? Where does he say that? I heard a rabbi say that. Oh, you heard a rabbi. Oh, so you don't see where he said it. That's because he never said it. A lot of people hear things. It's very easy to get, like I said before, it's very easy to make a mistake. It's very easy. To say that such and such said it, it's very easy. I could quote you 5,000 names and say a bunch of things they didn't say, but I could tell you they said it and you'll believe me. Does that make it true? No. So a smart person that's looking for the truth has to verify. Especially when that new bit of information contradicts all other existing information. The fact that many Jews will die at the end of times is not a rabbinical thing. It's a prophecy in the Torah. It's a prophecy in the Torah. It's a prophecy that's mentioned in your Sidur. In your Sidur it says it, Ubal Goel Pesha The Goel, the Mashiach is coming to what? To rescue, to, to bring salvation to those that used to be Poshim, used to be criminals. Meaning, to those that used to be criminals but have done Tshuva. Meaning that whoever hasn't done Tshuva, he's not coming to save them. If he's not coming to save them, what is he going to do with them? Leave them that you watch? No, he's going to kill them. So, in Sukkot, first day of Sukkot, what do we read? We read Zechariah chapter 14. What does Zechariah chapter 14 say? In Sukkot, you just read it. What does Zechariah chapter 14 says? It gives you exact details of the end of the world. People try to save each other and their uh, hands melt. People try to look at each other and their eyes pour out like liquid. He's defining in Zechariah 4,000 years ago. He's giving you the exact description of a nuclear and uh, biological war. So, obviously, the Zohar Kadosh also says that during these 15 days of darkness, all of the people that did not do tshuva will be destroyed during those 15 days of darkness. So, no rabbi can contradict what the Torah says and what the sages said in a previous generation. Anyone that says otherwise is a, simply a kofel. Or, option B, is you misunderstood them, which happens a lot. So, I'll give you an example, something that's easy to misunderstand. A lot of times in the Torah, you'll see times where it says that if you did this mitzvah, it's like you completed the entire Torah. So a fool, a fool that's looking for excuses 
and looking for an easy life, says, no, I don't complete the entire Torah. All I do is I complete this one mitzvah. It's like I did the whole Torah. So I complete, uh, I learn Torah every day. So therefore, it's a Torah connected kulam. I learned Torah, so I don't have to do any of the mitzvot. I don't have to keep Shabbat. I don't have to keep uh, Ta'ad Mishpacha. I don't have to keep kosher. Why? Because I learned Torah, so I don't have to do anything else. Because someone says that if you learn Torah, it's like everything else. Or it says if you keep Shabbat, keep Shabbat, connected kulam. It's like you fulfilled the entire Torah. Okay, so I'm just going to keep Shabbat, but I'm still going to eat taref, still hang out with the goyim, still be a goy, still do this, do that. Or they even says it on Sukkot. Pay attention. Say on Sukkot, the mitzvah of lulav, mitzvah of lulav, says, Chachamim say, if someone that fulfills the mitzvah of lulav, it's like you fulfilled the entire Torah. How could a little stick you got from a tree be fulfilling the entire Torah? How is it even connected? What is the, what is the love connected to Shabbat? How is the love connected to Ta'at Mishpacha? How is the love connected to being honest in your business, giving staka? How is it connected, Bechlal? Giving Maasel. The love is connected to being Maasel. So, Bishyad Bishmaya, we learn this, had this Chidush on Sukkot. First and foremost, Anytime it says in the Torah that this mitzvah is like the entire Torah, it's symbolic. It's symbolic of something, a, a bigger meaning. It's not like you mamash fulfilled every mitzvah in the Torah. It's symbolic of a deeper, deeper meaning. It also is telling you that that mitzvah takes preference over other mitzvot if you had to choose. For example, if you had to choose whether to go learn Torah or to go attend your friend's uh, wedding... You go learn Torah. Why? Because other people can attend his wedding. But learn Torah only you can. Unless there's nobody else that can make him happy in his wedding. Then you go do that. But the point being is that anytime you see it in the Torah, it's symbolic of a d- deeper meaning. So what's the sy- symbolism when it says that shaking the lulav, the palm tree, is like fulfilling the entire Torah. We saw this. You ever look at a little love? I don't mean just look at the outside. I mean, Mamash, look at it. Open it up and look at it. Look at the beauty of the creation. You see that the love, little palm tree, it's very, very symmetrical. And every little piece, every piece is slightly smaller than the next. And the next one is slightly, it never goes up and down. It's all symmetrically continuing to decrease or increase depending on which way, which perspective you're looking at it. And inside it, you see every love is the same thing. You see inside it, there's a little bit of green spilling over from the sides, but then inside it's light. It's always light. Very pretty, light color. And it always has the same ending where it's always pointing. You're never going to see a squared off love. You're never going to see a palm tree where at the end it's a rectangle. It's circle. No, it's always pointy. It always has the same little looking points. Everything has a little minor details that you can see with the naked eye. But tachlis, between us, it has absolutely no purpose in the world. Other than the mitzvah of Sukkot. You don't eat the lulav. You don't build anything with the lulav. You don't do anything with it. 
There's nothing you can do with it other than fulfill the mitzvah of the love. On this it is written, Hashem looked at the Torah and created the world. Not created the world and then created the Torah. He looked into the Torah, saw all of the mitzvot inside the Torah, said, oh, we have mitzvah of love, so I'll create a love. We have mitzvah talat mishpacha, oh, so I'll create, the woman has to have a time of the month. Oh, we have mitzvah kasher, I have to make kosher animals, non-kosher animals, and so on and so forth. Hashem looked at the Torah and created the world. The lulav has literally no purpose in the world other than the mitzvah of lulav. The whole palm tree, of the fruit obviously comes from the palm tree. But that's the fruit. What's the lulav for? Hashem could have just made the palm tree with just, uh, just the fruit. He didn't need to make the lulav from it. The secret is, Rabotai, that the Lulav is trying to tell us is to understand this, to really shape the Lulav and have Kavana. Have Kavana. You have to understand that there are certain things in the world that are beyond your understanding. Beyond your understanding. You're not going to understand everything in the world because you're still human. You're not going to understand the bigger purpose of other things, what I just told you about the lulav. Why did Hashem make this mitzvah this way? Why didn't He make it a different way? Meaning that in order for you to fulfill this mitzvah completely, you have to be tamim tiyem Hashem. Tamim tiyem Hashem. You have to be complete with Hashem. Complete with Hashem. Completely believing everything it says, even if you don't understand it. And that's our Torah. Our Torah is tamimah. Who does Hashem give Torah to? To someone that's complete with Him. If you're complete with Hashem, Hashem will give you the Torah. How are you going to be complete with Hashem? Be complete with the Lulav first. Be complete with the Lulav. So if you're complete with the Lulav, that means you're going to be complete with the Torah. And that's why shaking the Lulav, fulfilling the mitzvah of the Lulav, is like you fulfill the entire Torah. Because by doing this, you'll be led to the second. But, you have a but. Go ahead. You have two buts. No. If you saw one of my shiurim in New York, explain this question. It's a very good question. The Ramban, Allah Shalom, explains that it's not that Hashem wrote the entire Torah with the storyline in it. The Gemara in Masechet Chagigah says that 974 generations before Hashem created the world, he wrote the Torah using black fire on white fire. White fire being the background, the paper, if you will, and black fire being the ink. That's why till this day, Yosef El Torah uses black ink and not blue or purple or any other color. And the cloth is always white and not any other color. Now, the Ramban says, Nachmanides, says that... Did he write the story? No. So what did he do? He wrote all of the letters, all of the letters that are going to be used in a Torah, 304,805 letters, from beginning, from Bereshit, the first letter, first letter of the Torah is Bet, all the way to the last letter of the Torah, I believe it's Lamed. And he combined all of them. 
as if it's all one word. As if it's all one word. You ever see the screen of, let's say, someone that's trying to show you Torah codes? If you ever see Torah codes, when they show you Torah codes in the computer programs, they don't show it to you through the verses. They show you all the letters are combined. What does it look like? It looks like zeros and ones. It looks like the um, binary code, binary language, where the zeros and ones. So in essence, the Torah is the original binary language of the world that Hashem created the world with it. So how could it be? What it means is that all of the letters were combined. And as the world progressed, as the world progressed, he separated the letters at the appropriate spot. So for example, the Ramban says, the word Bereshit bara, the two first two words of the Torah, Bereshit bara, in the beginning of Hashem's creation, also could be could uh, if without changing the letters, the order of the letters, literally just changing the separation. Instead of the separation being after the word Bereshit, after the taf, and before the bet, instead of that, it would be after the shin. It would spell now, instead of Bereshit Bara, meaning in the beginning of creation, it would spell Berosh Itbara. In your head is the creation, meaning free choice. The gift of free choice. And the Ramban explains that everything that's in the world, that you will ever do, that I will ever do, including the shoe, including last week's shoe, including the shoe you didn't watch that I said this answer already, including the shoe that I'm going to say this answer in the future if somebody else didn't see it today. All of those shoes, all of that is already in the Torah. Everything that will ever happen is in the Torah. Now, how could it be? Does he know the future? Yes. But there's two sides to the future. There's two sides to the future. There's the Chuva side, the Gan Eden side, there's the Genom side. Based on our actions, Hashem separates the letters according to that action. When you make the right action, Hashem will separate and show it in the Torah in a certain way. When you do the wrong action, Hashem will show the wrong action in a different way. Both actions are in the Torah. Your choice is there. You have both choices. What you choose is going to be in the Torah. You'll see it one way or the other. So when Hashem created the Torah, all of the letters were combined. But as history happened, as time elapsed, as the Torah, per se, actually delved into the details of the stories, Hashem separated the letters in order to create the corresponding words that represented what was happening and what He wanted to teach us in it. The Torah itself never changed. The Torah itself is the same exact Torah that He wrote 974 generations before He created the world. And that is the divinity of the Torah, that literally everything and anything is in it. And that's why Ben Bagbag says that you have to delve into it and delve into it because everything is in it. Literally everything, not just figuratively speaking, everything. The good choices you make and the bad choices you make. 
what you'll end up seeing in the end is both. The Gemara says that Tzadikim, when the Mashiach comes, they're going to see a mountain and cry. The Reshaim are going to see a little tiny hill and cry. Why? Tzadikim are going to be shown all of the obstacles they had to overcome. So many obstacles they had to overcome. Mountain full of obstacles they had to overcome. Mountain full of Mesirut Nefesh and sacrifice they had to overcome to become Tzadikim. To inherit Olam Abba. Mountain. And they cry just commiserating at the same time as celebrating. Wow, I can't believe I did it. I did it. I did it. I made it. I made it. You know, when somebody wins the award, they cry. Why? They're excited. I did it. I can't believe it was so hard. And I worked so hard. And I didn't go to sleep three days. I didn't go to sleep. I didn't do this. I did it. I, everybody's excited. It's a Nehemiah are going to be excited, but eternally. The Reshaim are going to cry eternally. Why? They're going to see a little hill. Shema says, look, I didn't even give you a big test. I just told you, put on tefillin every day. I just told you, stop wasting seed. I just told you, give masel. What did I tell you? What big deal did I tell you? Keep Shabbat. What did I tell you? You didn't even want to do that. You didn't even want to do that. You didn't even pass a small test. He's not going to show them the big test because they never got to it. The big test was not relevant to them. Why? Because they're always looking for the easy mitzvah. They're always looking for the easy out. No, 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 I'm only going to do the easy job. Can you just give me like a, uh, uh, let me, let me, let me do an easy thing. Let me do an easy job. You give a guy $100,000 a year. Okay, you, you, you're big, you're good in graphics, you're good in uh, this, you're good in that. Yeah, yeah, I'm really good. I can make movies, I can make websites, I can make this, I can make that. Okay, great, go ahead, start. The guy comes back six months later, you give him a Okay, so what'd you do? Oh, yeah, I have a, I made a, uh, your logo on a napkin. Wait, six months? Six months, I'm paying you $100,000 a year? All you did is you made a logo on a napkin? What would we do with him, Sonny? I think we were skila, no? Not six months, you just, you had an employee, you had one of your assistants, made you a logo on a napkin after six months, you paid him $100,000? Skila, has to be skila. Mavin Meshuneh, something. Mita Meshuneh, you have to give this guy. The guy put a logo on a napkin after six months. But that's us sometimes. We're looking for the easy out. We're looking for the easy out. That's why Abu Tayyip Karim, you have to understand, to be a righteous Jew, you have to not only be willing to work hard, but expect to work hard. Expect to work hard. Afokba ve'afokba de kulaba. Both choices are in it. The good ones and the bad ones. You as a tzaddik, you as a rasha. You as a tzaddikah, you as a reshait. Both choices are already in the Torah. What if you were in the middle, though? You're going to look at... Uh, Both of them are in the Torah. No, but I'm saying, like, in the end, you're going to cry, like, you know, for some of the things you overcame, but you're going to cry for the stuff you didn't. Maram Masechet Sanhedrin says, En ben David ba, ela... The Mashiach is not coming to save other than a generation fully of righteous or fully of wicked. So Gemara says it doesn't make any sense. There's no way there's ever going to be a generation full of righteous people or a generation full of uh, wicked people. There's always going to be some and some. Hamim explained, no. Torah is not telling you that everybody's going to be tzaddik. And Torah is not telling you that everybody's going to be rasha. It's not possible. If everybody's tzaddik, 
it's all about already. It's not possible. There's no Yetzirah anymore. If everyone's Rasha, Hashem will destroy the world, no Mashiach. So what does it mean? It means that at the time of Mashiach, there's no option of being in the middle. Either you're going full force to become a tzaddik, or you're going full force, you're going to be a rasha. Everyone's going to have to make the hard choice to sacrifice everything, either to be a rasha or tzaddik. But the choice is right now? Choice is right now. Choice is every day. Because Mashiach can come every day. You have to make the choice before he comes. You can't make it after he comes. Then there's no free choice. You can't pick the winning team after they won. Yes or no? Yes or no? It's more of a Kabbalistic uh, stuff. Anyone that ever sinned has to suffer. There's no such thing as no suffering if you sinned. If you sinned, you have to suffer. So someone that does real tshuva and Hashem sees it, then they will have suffering in this world. So Hashem will give them suffering in this world. Why? Because He doesn't want them to suffer when Mashiach comes. So He'll give them flat tires and lost money and broken shiduch and uh, a few uh, diseases here and there and uh, maybe uh, a few headaches and a few this ache and that ache. Why? Because He loves them. And He says, Your tshuva is so beautiful that it will be, it will be really, really sad to see you suffer in Gainom. I really, really love you. So let me give you a few headaches here. Let me give you a few headaches over here. So that way, yeah, over here you're going to suffer, but you're going to thank me for it. You're going to thank me for this. Why? Because you're going to see, wow, when Mashiach comes, I'm going to show you what Gainom really looks like. Everyone has to die and then come back to life. Everybody has to feel the pain of death. So everyone's going to get to see what could have been. Someone that's a tzaddik is going to get to see the rasha. Someone's a rasha is going to get to see a tzaddik. Exertion. Can. The video is mine, look, shall I? Mine. Moshe Rabbeinu's statement in Psalm 90, it says, Reward us according to the years that we suffered, we saw evil. Can. And also in that same daily, we had a request to our Tarashvahu to show us. The Chazonish uh, answers your question. Chazonish 
in chapter 7 of Emunah and Bitachon, answers your question. In the Emunayim uh, Bitachon, if you remember, we talked about it last week, I think. There's different uh, parts. In the section of uh, the first, of, end of chapter one, it gave us four principles of faith out of the 13 principles of faith that are the foundation but in chapter 2 section 7 the Chazonish gives us an atomic bomb yes od mi midat habitachon ki ala boteach shora ruach kodesh umitlevei imo ruach oz amevasro ki omnam yaazreu adonai וכמו שאמר דוד המלך, עליו השלום, אם תחנה עליי מחנה לא יירא ליבי, אם תקום עליי מלחמה, בזאת אני בוטח. וזה עניין מתחלף לפי מעלת הבוטח ורוב קדשו. So, the Chazoni says, the more somebody has ביטחון, trust in Hashem, he can get the Ruach HaKodesh with it. Get the Ruach HaKodesh. By having real bitachon in Hashem, with such strength that it would be similar to David Amelech, who said, "Im tachane alay machane b'teilim twenty-seven. If you bring upon me, if you bring a host upon me, my heart will have no fear. If." You bring upon me some type of war, some type of uh, disaster. I'm not going to have any fear. As a matter of fact, even if a war comes upon me, this I will trust. What does it mean, this I will trust? What does it mean, this I will trust? You get used to reading at night. Darkness doesn't bother you as much. What does it mean... This I will trust. What does it mean? David Amelech says, when I see problems, when I see problems ahead, I'm not going to fear. Why? I know you're taking, I know it's from you. I know it's from you. I know the problem is from you, Hashem. You're the one that's giving me the test. In fact, if you give me a big war, that I know for sure. That I know for sure. That I know for sure. The, the problem I know is from you. But the war for sure is from you. Why? Because the problem is life. The problem is life. But it could also be the Yetzirah trying to make me fail. It could also be this. It could, it could be a lot of things. But I'm not afraid. Why? Because I know in the end you're running the world. But if it's a war, I know for sure it's from you. Why? Because if it wasn't important, there wouldn't be a war. It wouldn't be difficult. So a person that has real bitachon has literally an understanding of the necessity of suffering.
But the Chazoni says, before he gets to, you get to that high level, if you go to the beginning of the chapter, I'll just read it in English. According to this, faith and trust in Hashem are one and the same. Just that faith in Hashem, emunah, is the general approach of believing, of the believing person. Emunah is a believing person, someone that believes that Hashem runs the world. And bitachon is the person's approach to himself. How Hashem is connecting Hashem's running the world to him himself. It's easy to trust at times when we need to trust when the need to trust does not play an important part in life. He says that when you have money, it's easy to have emunah. When you have no problems, it's easy to have emunah. When you don't need to try, have emunah, it's easy to have emunah. When you don't need to have bitachon, it's easy to have bitachon. Everything is good, the kids are cute, the wife is cute, the husband's cute, everybody's cute, everybody's great. You have little care bears running around, money's falling from the trees, food cooks itself, everything tastes good like mana bread. Of course, you tell people. How you don't believe? How you don't believe? It's easy to believe and talk about trust when it's just in theory, he says, but not in practice. At times like that, a person is just enjoying beautiful and pleasurable dreams. But as the time goes on, he fools himself and others into thinking that he indeed possesses actual emunah in bitachon in Hashem. And more emunah in bitachon in Hashem than his peers have. When in reality, he is using this attribute to make his dreams of the unknown future more pleasant. He says... The guy is literally fantasizing that he's going to be a millionaire. He said, no, Hashem's going to give it to me. How? Oh, he's going to give it to me somehow. He's going to give it to me. I have a munah, he's going to do it for me. I have a munah, Hashem's going to send me a kala. Okay, you go on any shiduch? No. I, I believe Hashem is going to send it to me. How? You, well, you're Talmud Chacham, you're learning, you're writing books all day. You're doing something for it, anything, any shtadlut. No, no. I'm just sitting here on the beach all day. I'm waiting for Mrs. Wonderful to come. I believe I'm going to be a Talmud Chacham one day. Hashem is going to inject the entire Torah into me. He's going to make her remember everything the Malach taught me when I was in my mom's stomach. He's going to make me remind like that. So are you learning anything maybe to, 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 to get this gift, to get this matrix into your head? You're doing anything for it and he missed. He would never know. What are you doing? I'm sitting all day like this, waiting. Hashem, you ready? No? Okay, I'm not ready either. Ready? No, not ready. I'm just ready when he's ready. I have a munah in Hashem. He says this person has dreams. He lives an illusion. And he makes everybody else think that his dreams are actual reality. He says the real test that can decide whether a person really believes... What he's actually saying, whether he really does have real emunah in Hashem, 
or he just trained himself to say, have emunah, have emunah, you know, like today's rabbis. Have emunah, have emunah, just talks about it without actually it being part of him, is when he meets up with a situation that demands that he indeed places emunah in Hashem. When do we know if he has emunah? When life happens. When all of a sudden, he gets a phone call from the hospital. Sir, your son's here. What happened? You better get here soon. You still have emunah? You still have emunah? Sir, your check bounced. The mortgage hasn't been paid. What?